welcome back to another episode of the Carp Angler Chronicles podcast. We've got a very special guest here for you today. Uh, someone that needs no introduction, Sean Harrison. Um, someone that I've certainly been following for many years. Um, and uh, I've been reading Sean's writings for as, as long as I can remember, as far as my, uh, my carp angling journey goes. So, Sean, welcome along to the podcast. Thank you for asking me along. You are, you are most welcome. Of course, we've got Pete here as well. Who's, Hi, uh... Pete. Hi, Sean. Nice to meet you. Yes, and you. So we will jump into the questions very soon. As always, we will start with our tipple of the episode. Do you, do you drink, Sean? I know uh, I'm springing this on you. Sorry. Usually the beer glass of Merlot at the side of me, but I must admit there's a cider there at the moment. Ah, cider. Which one, which one have you opted for tonight? Uh, it's a... What is it? It's a cheap and cheerful Woodgate Devonshire Scrumpy Cider. Lovely. Near your neck of the woods, Pete, right? That is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know the ones uh, of Woodgate. Is, is it quite dry? It's quite a dry one, isn't it? Um, it's a little bit in between, really, to be fair. It's it's one of the little ones. I've been doing me one shop a week uh, during yes. this lockdown and uh, <clears throat> decided to do little this last week. Yeah, I, I knew I'd... Um... That's why I recognise them. Yeah, um, I've had a, I've had a few Woodgates in my time from my little shops. Yeah, um, it probably wouldn't be the first choice, but I, I have enjoyed that one. To be fair, yeah. That's it. What have you got, Sam? Me, I've got I've got a little bit of a mix. I actually went out earlier um, because I wanted to get. Well, I needed to do my shop anyway, um, but I was inspired by our last interview uh, with um, Sean Briggs. Uh, sorry, Steve Briggs. Um, it, I tried to get his uh, his Glavar and Jameson's combo, but unfortunately, I couldn't get it. So, I've got some of the uh, the Sailor Jerry spiced rum left over from last time, um, and I've got a couple of Cotswold Gold ales, um, which are very very nice ales hook norton brewery which is just down the road from me in the cotswolds really uh about 15 minutes down the road so yeah i've just moved my arm about 18 inches and i've got a bottle of jameson's in my hand now oh <laughs> <laughs> so you... i can uh, appreciate that one with steve yeah you're a jameson's man are you yeah i do like irish whiskies yeah. Mm. Yeah, my brother moved to Ireland uh, to retire, believe it or not, uh, two years ago. He's slowly working his way through all of the uh, the extensive Irish whiskies. There's some very good ones out there. Yeah, nice hobby um, to pick up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not bad, is it? It's not bad. Uh, how about you, Pete? What what are you, what's your tipple of the episode? I am letting the side down today. Um, so my kiddies were incredibly revved up and there was no chance of them being in bed and quiet uh, before we record this so i've actually driven uh, to my place of work where i'm guaranteed a, a quiet office uh, so i've actually got a coca-cola zero uh, which i've just stolen out of the vending machine <laughs> yeah. i'm not gonna swap with you <laughs> no, I, no i don't blame you oh, okay okay we'll let it slide i guess pete under the circumstance Okay, good. So o over to uh, over to your your good self, Sean. Obviously, you, I mean, it, wh where do we start? Um, I'm sure our listeners are, are well aware uh, that your experience in the angling world <clears throat> is extensive, to say the least. Uh, I do believe. I think I've heard this before, and I, I think we spoke about this on the phone a couple of weeks ago. 
you've only ever earned your money through the world of angling. Is is that right, Sean? That's right. Yeah, I've been very lucky. Uh, right from leaving school, uh, I took a job in a fish and tackle shop and I've remained in the trade since. I've done various things in the trade, but I've never never done a day's work outside of it other than work experience from school. Yeah, and is I've been thinking, is there any other angler that, that can claim that? I'm, I'm not sure if there is. I'm not aware of any, although possibly some of the sort of younger generation, you know, the lads who haven't been. Yeah, yes, actually, Certainly yes, don't know anyone as, as long as myself. Yeah, yeah, good point. Actually, I think Carl and Alex, the two young lads on uh, YouTube, they, they might be in that same boat. But yeah, absolutely. For, well, this will be my 40th year of it, so yeah that which is incredible um and if you think i mean this day and age how many people stay in one industry um <laughs> for for that amount of time people tend to jump ship these days don't they so that's, that's yeah very true quite an achievement in itself yeah okay okie doke so i mean obviously we are aware that you've you've had many different interviews before we don't want to go over old ground um with you but something that came of of us chatting personally on the phone was um your thoughts towards baiting strategies, attracting the carp. Uh, I mean, obviously on this podcast, you know, me and Pete, we are sort of, you know, identify ourselves as bait enthusiasts. Um, but these days, Sean, it, it seems like you're going down the route of attracting naturals first and then in turn the carp rather than just solely focusing on attracting the carp with your own bait. Is is that something you can expand on? Uh, yeah, it's... I mean, we've we've all done it. We've all wound baits in with little pothole marks in them before, where mm-hmm. um, caddis and such like has had a go at the bait. But the thing that really kicked it off, I've never told him the fact, but I did a one of the underwater features for Carpology with Rob Hughes. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things Rob said when he came up, he was really surprised how much natural life, natural activity had got around the bait and how many caddis and such like were attacking the baits. And it got me thinking a little bit. The water was fishing incredibly rich. And there was a couple of strains of fish in there that nobody ever caught. Some of the stockies were getting caught, but the originals were never getting caught. Which then got me thinking down the natural natural side of things. And now I could perhaps attract a few more naturals, you know, more so than I was doing already. And just led on after that to a lot of experiments and a lot of different ingredients. And I was basically classing it as a result, the more pothole marks could get in the baits. <laughs> it got to the stage in the end of, I've got a bait on the go at the moment where I, I do enjoy showing people in the margin because it's, it's quite incredible. You drop a bait in the edge and what looks like a, a dead bit of ground suddenly comes to life. Wow. You know, little miniature snails crawling about, caddies charging for them and everything else. And I'm still still working on all that, but I'm I'm a few years down the line on it now. So I've I've got, you know, certain things that attract certain things. Mm. Definitely snails and caddies, they're the main two things I've I've sort of seen a sort of big time really. Mm. So, do you mean that those are the two um animals that, that you feel are uh, you're best off attracting, or are those the two that are the kind of the They're prevalent? They're the ones that are being most successful at attracting. Mm. I mean, snails are a vast amount of different ones from, you know, great big pond snails. Are, it's, it's quite funny. I can drop a 15 mil bait in the edge and you can't see it. You'll have three snails wrestling <laughs> with it. But the, 
the more I went down that route, the more I realised the advantages for the angler with that. For a start, you're putting life into the swim. You know, you're putting movement into the swim. It's the excrement from the snails and everything, which I'm sure attracts carp anyway. Mm-hmm. And you just got a whole party going off down there around your baits that are there. Uh, combine that with baits, which the fish enjoy when they get there anyway. Then, you know, it's... Uh, well, it has been a winner. It's been, been really eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead because I think there's there's much more to be said on that topic. But do you feel it's these small uh, animals, these invertebrates, that the carp are detecting? Outright, their kind of smell, for want of a better phrase. Or is it the movement aspect? Um, or is it the pH change? What, what do you think is, is doing the good, so to speak? I think different fish are attracted to different things. I mean, for, for years now, I've, I've never baited with just one bait. I've always mixed things up, you know, given a, a, a whole host of different things. Once you get a, a carp feed in, they become very much like a dog then, where they'll, they'll eat almost anything and the competition kicks in, which mm-hmm. is a perfect scenario to be in. Mm-hmm. But it, it's triggering that first fish. And some of the fish may be triggered more by sight, some may be triggered by the actual bait that's there anyway. I think it's the, the more different aspects you can put into the swim, the the more chance of dragging the extra fish down. And if there's a group of six fish and only one's dragged down, the other five are normally, you know, not far behind. They don't like to miss mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the you know, those other five fish, they perhaps wouldn't have dropped down, you know, if that first one hadn't so so you kind of going off the basis that you want different different tri- types of attraction out there um with the mind that you know some of them might attract certain fish and you've got all of your bases covered in as much as one of those fish say if there's a small pod moving around one of those is probably going to be attracted to something that you've got out there on the lake bed yeah i've always liked movement in the swim i mean i've, I've always attracted silver fish i've always used lots of little baits little bit baits and such like I don't scare coots and tufties off normally. I just think that they're, they're all big attractors of carp. Absolutely, yeah. And I think a lot of it, which doesn't tend to get mentioned much, is is the noise aspect as well. Mm. You know, sound carries incredibly underwater, and I'm sure even just snails rattling about over gravel and things is it's all, you know, it's their world. Mm. They live in tiny little worlds, really. If you think about it, you know, the edge of their world is however big the water is. And they get to know that air intimately. Yeah, they are absolute masters, aren't they? I mean, I've spoken about this on the podcast before. If you, I mean, and obviously there's a risk of comparing ourselves to carp. Obviously, we're very different creatures. But I mean, even yourself underwater, which is by no means our our uh, domain, you, the the noise of things is just uh, in a on a different level. It's amplified dramatically, and obviously, you know, carp are, are much more sensitive to that. I would imagine they obviously have the the lineal line, um, and that is their environment. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right and it's a it's a fascinating area that i guess probably most carp anglers or anglers in general probably don't take full advantage of um no definitely definitely mm. i i think in, in my mind's eye i watch people baiting up you know see bait going out there and I often think to myself what a dead swim they're actually sat over mm. you know they've got a few innate boilers on the bottom which by the sheer nature has got all the attraction sealed in anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
which leads on to other aspects of bait with opening pores up and such like, which is something I always do. I've done for years. Hydrating but, baits. Yeah, yeah, just just mm. speeding the process up mm-hmm. so you're not waiting that day, day and a half or so for the bait to actually start to yeah be attractive. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time people are fishing for sight feeders without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So in, in terms of j- just kind of going back to, to where we started in terms of attracting these natural, um, d- d- these, you know, what we'd call naturals in, into the swim, are you, how are you doing this? Are you using like a paste bait? Are you, are you boiling a bait? Are you using something else? Well, although I pr- primarily use boilers because of what I do, you know, I, I feel it's only right that I should be using what everyone can buy. Mm-hmm. I do use a lot of paste wraps, but the boilers that I use... I, they always get a drink before they go fishing, so they are a lot softer than coming straight out of the bag. Mm-hmm. I'm using the same same bait straight out of the bag, but um, you know, I start the process. If I'm I'm a weekend angler these days, so generally Tuesday afternoon is when I start the bait. I'll start the liquid on the bait. Mm-hmm. So by okay. the time I'm there Friday, I'm fishing with the bait that. It's not washed out. This is something a lot of people get confused with. Mm-hmm. I actually. Mm-hmm. Wash liquids in. So Washed liquids in. in, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's never any liquid there when I'm at the lake, and I've never poured anything away. You know, it's all I've just made the boilers drink it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is probably worth expanding on for the listeners. But what I think what Sean means is, <clears throat> if you just get a, a, a boiler out of the bag, um, you know, maybe you you air dry it as well. You, you throw that in the water, right? That boiler has to absorb the water before it can start kicking out its attraction it will most of the i mean we could get in the weeds here which which we probably won't do but really you need a soluble aspect something needs to be dispersed within the water in order for the the carp to detect it um so whilst it's in the phase of sucking in water that process is going to be happening to a fairly small degree whereas in the simplest way, if it's just re- it's already hydrated, it's already sodden, if you like, with water, it's going to be kicking out already. You can go obviously further than that by hydrating it with um, a, a, a food that's actually it, it's a it's a liquid that already has its attraction of its own. We've mentioned uh, the squid brand fish sauce extensively. That's a good one. It's very thin. It, it absorbs in the bait very readily. Um, so th- there's different kind of levels to it. And I, I think that's that that's what you're getting at, Sean, right? Yeah, I always try and keep things in simple human terms. And you're basically just opening pores up. You've got a very tight, tight ball. Mm. Um, if you blew air into it, eventually there's going to be little holes appearing. And that's that's what you're doing. You're opening those pores so that, the important bits in the bait, the bits that you can't see, they can actually start to work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in terms of attracting the the naturals, are you? Is there anything in particular that you, you've said you've been doing this for a few years? You've been, it's been your your big kind of focus. Is there anything in particular that you can tell our guests that that would help, or is it just a case of just hydrating your your boilies in in a in a food source? Uh, a lot of the rehydrating I do is just with pure water. Okay. Nothing more. I don't want to wash things out. Everything I want in the bait is in there. All I'm doing is is opening the pores up. Um, I've extensively written in the past about using 
the liquid from cooked hemp, uh, the excess water. That that's an excellent one. Uh, summertime, I don't tend to use it in the winter, but in the summer, that's I was liking it to WD forty. It seems to go in and make it happen really quick. Hmm. Um, and again, I get emails all the time about it, and people get it confused with hemp oil, which is a different product altogether. I'm using the water from cooked hemp, yeah, much thinner product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Um, sorry, Sam, I'm jump, jumping in here. Would, do, you, do you find that the, the time of year sort of really affects this sort of um method, Sean? So, presumably, we, you're talking about caddis, um. And presumably a lot of this is during the sort of the warmer months. Is, is there anything? Yeah, as it gets colder, everything slows right down, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you still get a little bit of action, though. Um, you don't get the, it's a pity I can't put pictures up, because I've, I've got some pictures of hook baits from the summer, which just look ridiculous. You know, they're just totally, totally chewed up. Mm-hmm. And I've also got baits covered in snails. But uh, obviously you don't get it to that extent in the winter, but I'm still getting the pot marked bits. You know, you'll still get the caddis labigo yeah is there anything sort of um is there any other sort of natural life in the winter i guess it's more sort of prevalent um that you wouldn't see so much in the summer months just with a general sort of i guess with this the turnover of the seasons i mean th- there's a lot of things are there all the time you know like your dragonfly larvae and such like they're they're on the bottom for every year anyway so they're you know they're always there mm-hmm. you know you've always got things on the bottom i mean even on the coldest day in the winter you get a little bit of a sunburst next to reasons such like you'll see tiny things hatching all the time all through the year things are coming off but it's i don't know if i'm attracting those at the moment because they you know they're generally much smaller things and you know you don't get the impressions on the bait like you get on the you know the the maggot sized grubs that are crawling about yeah yeah, it's a much, much, I guess, quicker process this time of year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's more of a summer thing of aim that at anyway. It's, I mean, the water I mentioned, which we did with the, the Rob Hughes dive, like I say, it's incredibly rich. I, I put a fish back one day, I was having the picture took, and just whilst I stood there in waders, I actually filled both hands up with big pond snails. Yeah, and this was the water where two of the stockings of fish just didn't get caught once I started going down this natural route i started catching the the stock that that weren't getting caught and it's quite interesting that one. it was nigh up me for myself as well i've always known that you know some carp prefer certain baits and others others but it, it was a, a real clear scenario there with dad's i should have I've not got the figures to hand but i won't be far wrong if i say that there was about 150 fish stocked in the water and a third of them was a stocking they was the only ones that were getting caught really two-thirds of the stock just weren't getting caught at all but they was different strains of fish obviously mm. spending a lot more time natural feeding probably smashing the fish a lot more as well mm-hmm. but you know whatever Without wanting to blame my own trumpet, I was top rod on the water that year. Yeah, I only caught a third of the stock of fish, if that makes sense. I was only catching certain fish. The following year, after I started altering baits about, it just went silly. You know, I was, I was just catching everything that had gone in, really. 
Yeah. So, so when you say that there's a percentage of the lake that just wasn't getting caught beforehand, is this that there are different strain? Is it that there are different yeah, so, age? So, so it's a different strain. With different strain. Yeah, we'd stock with three different strains. Okay. It was one of the British carps for the Great Waters. Um, we'd stock with three different strains. There was already carp there as well. So there was at least four strains. And from the originals, there seems to be two different lots of those as well. So probably five strains of fish. But the only fish that were getting caught were um, some fish we'd have from AJS. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so totally different upbringings they were. Uh, they... They were totally farmed fish. Some of the other fish had grown on na- more naturally in, in lakes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask actually. Do, do you feel that that is as a result of their genetics, or is it how they were brought up, what they fed on when they were young? Yeah, I, th- I think fish that have only had the fish farm life, um, they're generally much easier to catch anyway. And mm-hmm. I think they're just reliant on on man-made food you know that's what they've been brought up with they've not spent years grubbing about and mm. finding natural spots i'm finding it quite interesting now because the in you know earlier years of my carping all, all the fish were semi-natural you know we, we didn't stock fish like we do these days yeah um it's quite interesting now a lot of these fish straight from farms and such like they do behave very differently I've really had to relearn a lot of things the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Do you, I don't know how to put this. I mean, do you feel they kind of um, act like pets a little more? They're they're a little bit more predictable um, and a little bit more easily uh, manipulated, for want of a better phrase. It's certainly more bait-orientated. Yeah. And okay. they, they seem less fussy on bait as well. Hmm. Yeah, some of the sort of older, more naturalised fish. I mean, the stockfish that have been around a long while now, anyway. But um, yeah, well, they're all stockfishing at the end of the day. But I, I think you know where I'm coming from. You know, they've, do, they've not yeah. started yeah. off as pan and arm fishing. Yeah, else. yeah, they've been fed a lot of pellet. They've been grown on to to produce X amount of weight per year, and and yeah, yeah, they're. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've started yeah. seeing differences on this. With I mean, I've. I've studied moon phases for 30 plus years and everything and at a point where i thought i got it to an absolute t some of these younger big fish they do behave differently yeah interesting we definitely want to go on to moon phases and you say Mm. younger big fish i think that's an important distinction um you know it's there's, you know, a lot of people will talk about big fish tactics, uh, and that may be true because um, a, a larger framed fish would generally feed differently from a smaller framed, and then obviously different, you know, uh, different shapes of fish will feed different anyway. But there's a big difference between perhaps what a younger big fish would find attractive um, compared to what yep. an older big fish would find attractive, um, if that Definitely. makes sense. Yeah. No, definitely. I always try and swing the the word big to old on nearly yeah. everything in carp fishing now. Um, I mean, the, you get some really old carp that's still 12 pound, but mm-hmm. they still behave like what people term as big carp, you know, because they are the big old carp. They're just not grown. Absolutely. The thing is a massive, massive thing on it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we if we were to, I think people liken carp to humans too much. But if we were to to kind of like lay that out in layman's terms, it's like us. We our taste buds change, don't they? Um, you yeah. know, I, I know as I've got older, I've my my horizons have broadened, and some of the the sweeter stuff I used to like when I was a kid, it's just it's it's too much for me right now. It just it turns me off. I don't want to eat it. Whereas, you know, other perhaps more subtle flavors for me now are actually you know more Moorish or something I could eat in greater greater amounts. And and I think that applies to carp as well, or certainly it would seem that way. Yeah, you've touched on on an important one there as well, which I often bring into conversation. You was talking about the the subtle tastes mm. in the bait game. You're forever getting asked, "Oh, can you make this stronger? Can you put more flavouring? Can you do this? Mm. Can you do that?" If you think about the foods that you can eat a lot of, meat, normal veg, potato, and such like, there's not really a lot of taste there at all. Mm-hmm. You get some of the things that you perhaps really like, I don't know, a, a fruit trifle or whatever, you can't eat much more than a bowlful. Mm. And I, I think a lot of that applies well. Once you start using lots of flavour, you, you're stopping the fish feeding. They'll have a peck at it, but they don't really gorge themselves. You give them something subtle, I mean, if you think about a lot of the great baits over the years that just continue to work year in, year out, uh, sweet corn, hemp seed, chum mixer mm-hmm. none of them are strong strong tasting strong flavored things but the car just gorge themselves and never seem to get you know get fed up of never have enough of them yeah absolutely a very good point i mean and i mean probably one of my most favorite baits is is definitely peanuts that they used to get a very bad rep um uh, years ago of course you can definitely misuse peanuts if you use them if you prepare them correctly and you feed them in sensible quantities uh, personally i don't see any problem using them whatsoever and in my eyes they're a phenomenal bait um but you you smell my uh, my peanuts uh, it sounds a bit odd but if you smell them they're uh, you know that they're definitely by no means as overpowering as as many uh, modern boilies and sure you know you, you know you can sugar up your 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 nuts so to speak and, and let some fermentation process go and they're far more attractive and sure they smell more then um but ultimately even if you didn't do that they are very attractive to carp it's something that carp enjoy part of that is quite possibly due to the texture and the again back to the noise that it would make and obviously other carp would hear a carp feeding that triggers the instinct to go and investigate and then yeah definitely. create a competition again, that noise thing has, has come up you know the crunchability mm. of things and just even just digging away on gravel i mean yeah. you never got as much food on gravel as you have on the silt but i think just the sheer fact that carp have bouncing it about looking for the bait that we're introducing rather than the natural stuff that's there you know again it's it's that noise noise and movement is such a big thing yeah yeah absolutely okay so i mean before before we move on let's say someone's listened to this and they're like okay great i want to start trying to attract naturals into my um hook bait vicinity what would you suggest these these people do I've got a little bit of a problem with this one mm. with all of the, for want of a better phrase, the thread in the sheds without proper registered businesses. Mm. I've helped a few people out over the years and ended up being kicked in the teeth on it, basically. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to sit here and give ingredients and things away. If somebody yeah. wants to 
I'm certainly not here to push my own product or anything anyway. It's yeah. not my style. But if somebody yeah. wants to use a bait that was the first one to come out of all of this, it's a bait that Quest Baits does called Spicy Spirulina. If you fish that in the summer amongst in a lake with a lot of naturals, you, you'll see what it does. And particularly if you give it a pace wrap as well. Interesting. But like I said, I don't want that coming off. Well, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's how it's come, but that, that wasn't the intention. But that might get somebody, you know, having a look at it, thinking, hmm, I can do something similar to that. Yeah, well, there was an interesting word in there, spirulina, um, yeah. which is something that I've used in the past. I'm pretty sure Pete has as well, mm-hmm. um, which is underused, certainly these days. Um but uh, yeah, definitely an ingredient that, that people should perhaps investigate. That being but said, spirulina is a is an algae, and yeah. you know it's it's not rocket science. If you think, you know, what snails feed on, you know, where where you find those, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's one or two ingredients out there which, once you put your mind to it, you suddenly think, ah, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. I've I done didn't... a lot with spices over the years of a lot of the baits in the quest range of yeah various spices there there's one or two of those that help the job along as well so yeah spices for me as well it's it's there is so much mileage in certain spices and um not only the spices themselves the uh the oleo resins and and the the essential oils i've done a few blends and and there's definitely some mileage there but this you know, for, for our listeners, if you don't know, I mean, it's a real fine art to, to balance everything up. So you've got a real winner. Um, yeah. The and, secret uh, with, with them, again, is subtlety. Mm. You're better teasing them with it than giving them a load of anything. Yeah, sure, sure. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Um, on to moon phases, which you, you briefly mentioned. Um I think, well, I know this is an area where you've you've spent considerable amount of time uh, pondering and drawing data and recording and 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 look, finding out what the patterns are. Um, is this something that you're still working on, Sean, or is it something that you've you've laid to rest a little bit? Uh, no, I've got my opinions on it now, which probably haven't altered in the last ten years or so. Um, I constantly pay attention to the moon i don't feel as though i'm learning a lot more from it now i think the main bits i need to know for my own what's the word not peace of mind my own whatever it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm happy in what i found over the years keep doing what i do at the times that i do it Mm. um a lot of people there's the standard comment on so many things when you you try and say the best times and such like it's oh I'll go fishing when I can go fishing and you know that's it. Well, I'm the yeah. same. I generally can only fish at the weekends. I sometimes grab an evening or whatever. But I'm a weekend angler. I can't always be there when everything's spot on, but that makes a difference to the amount of bait I'm feeding. It all comes back to the bait again. If I'm on what I consider to be a very poor moon phase. Mm. I don't feed them a lot of bait because they ain't going to be fish, a lot of fish feeding. If I'm on absolute perfect periods, same as atmospheric pressures and everything else, if everything's all come into line, that's when I feed them. That's when I give them a fair mm-hmm. day. So, you know, although 
not everyone can juggle the fishing around to the best times. You can be fishing effectively at the worst times and even more effectively at the best times. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are guilty of this. It's it's the, it's black or white. It, it's all or nothing. It's, well, I can't choose when I fish, so it's no good paying attention to moon phases. No, that's not the case. Like you just, you know, beautifully said, you can, if you know there is a certain moon phase which is going on, which perhaps isn't the best for fish feeding, um, I'll, I'll maybe be controversial and say a big moon. Yes, okay, big commons, big moons outside of that i've never done particularly well on a big moon maybe i wouldn't you know necessarily put a load of bait out in that circumstance possibly i would if i was fishing for a big common or if if that fish had a history of coming out on a certain moon yeah sure but maybe i would ease back a little bit so like you say it's it's sometimes it's just a piece of the puzzle it's something to bear in mind when it comes to formulating your strategy right yeah it's another one of those i think Terry Hearn first came up with it. It's one of the percentage scenarios. You know, it, all those extra little one and two percent you can gain. You know, I, I watch other people a lot and how people are doing it, and you'll sit there and think, oh, why has he done that? You know, it's like absolute hopeless conditions, and he's done exactly the same as he was doing three months ago and yeah. in totally different conditions, you know. And it, <clears throat> to my mind, it's... it's not only messed his own fishing up, he's probably messed the next three, four, five days fishing up for other people as well. You know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it, it's I understand it as well. You know, people have a result on a method and they'll keep doing that method. But the following week, you haven't got the same situation. So you need to be adaptable. But you can't get around that one without. You know, that's something that only comes after a lot of years of observing, really. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that perhaps comes from, I mean, these days a lot of people jump straight into carp angling before really learning how to fish for different species? Uh, do you think some people kind of get stuck in their ways because they're not used to adapting to the season, to what's in front of them, possibly to different height fly hatches that are going off? Do you, do you think that's a potential issue? Yeah. Yeah, we've also got the situation where the, the newer generations, the last, I don't know, let's say the last 25 years or so, mm -hmm. carp anglers haven't had to sort it themselves. They've been able to read about it. They've been able to look it up. They've been able to ask somebody and everyone's been open. If you jump back 40 years, nobody would tell anyone anything. The few books that was about was still use a pot of boiled potato, bit of bread flake, stick a worm on it. <laughs> you know, there was just nothing there to help. Uh, cart fever came out early 80s. That, that had got an incredible amount of information in it compared to what there was anywhere else. But... The generations then, we was coming through a period where you had to experiment, you had to try, and I just think it, it gets the brain working that little bit more. You're thinking that much harder all the time. Hmm. Everybody was using the same sort of rig. You know, there's no hair rig or anything. You'd either free line or use the smallest leg possible to reach the fish, everything free running. So there's no edges there, really. The only edges at the time was bait. And doing it right, getting the location right, mm. and adapting to the conditions. 
But I think a lot of that's pretty much out of the window in a lot of cases. People have only ever known carp fishing, a lot of the lads. They've not gone through the period of scaling things down and eventually getting a bite. You know, people generally nowadays use the same gear middle of summer as they do in the winter and, and everything <laughs> else. Yeah. You know, and, uh, there's lots of sides of angling I just don't see now. You know, there's lots of forgotten simple things, obvious things, but neglected. Mm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure. And I mean, I've, I've recently uh, gone back to angling for, for, you know, a more broader range of species. Um, and to be honest, you know, even me, I've been a bit like, ah, do you know what? Why, why have I not been looking at that? Well, I've, I've probably got set in my ways a little bit and da 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 da. I think it, it is easy to get um, set in your ways with with certain things and you, you get something in your mind about a certain venue and, and, and perhaps, you know, I've been, as I'm sure many others have, been a little bit guilty of not um, being as exploring as I once was when I was a bit younger uh, for probably haven't said that very well, but uh, maybe, you know what I mean? I, th- I think it's easy to get stuck in a rut sometimes. Yeah. It's very easy to get stuck in your ways. I, I think we're all guilty of it at times, but occasionally I'd, I'd give myself a bit of a kick up the what's it and uh, sort myself out, get the brain thinking again and kick things into gear again. Yeah. And there, there was a classic one last year. I've, I've been a, a user of very small hooks over the years. Uh, compared to a lot of people for for a lot of years i'm 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 normally the last one to change things but i've used a um a size eight pb super strong for a lot of years and use them for everything from big overseas fishing to to all the home stuff didn't suffer the hook pause you've got such deep hook holes with the fish with them such not deep down the throat deep in the amount of flesh in the in the hook okay and there were brilliant hooks, and a lot of people seemed quite surprised. Small hooks I was using, I was catching big Italian fish, French fish, English fish, everything. Mm. I had a period last last year where I was on the local water and felt I should have been catching them. I was getting fish on the bay, I was getting the liners, I wasn't particularly catching them. And in the end, I I went total opposite way, just on the hook. And ended up putting a, a big size four hook on a, on a rod, which was massive for for my sort of fishing. And suddenly, the you know the alarms are screaming again, and mm. had quite a series of fish. But and all that was was a, a change of a hook, nothing else, no change in. I mean, hook length, lens, and things that can make a massive difference. And I never see mm. people changing them. I mean, when did you last see someone cast the bottom bait out on anything longer than about twelve inch? You know, it doesn't do it. i mean I, I i try not to fish waters where, where other people are fishing to be honest but mm-hmm. i know exactly what you mean um and it's funny you say that actually that that was most actually people's hook links are the same length as most of the rig patches that are sold <laughs> yeah funny that isn't it yeah mm. just just fits in and, and it looks beautiful in there i'm sure <laughs> um yeah it's funny you say that actually that that was what was in the back of my mind when i was saying that hooks I, I like a big hook and I like a big lead. And some might say that's quite crude angling. Um, and that's what I, I, I get stuck in a rut with. I'm like, no, that that's what I need to happen. That's I've, I've you know spent countless hours, as I'm sure most, you know, many of us have looking at carp, feed, etc. That's what I have confidence in. 
and I get very stuck with that. And you know, some you know sometimes perhaps it isn't working for me, and I don't necessarily think you know what maybe I need to refine down and da da da. da. I, sometimes I get stuck and I take my own ideals as gospel, and I think that's a dangerous trap to to fall into. To be honest, yeah, well, you, you hit the nail on the head with a confidence scenario. You know, if if you're confident with something, keep doing it as long as that indicator's still moving. Mm. But it's you know, you mentioned the leads there. I'm paranoid with big leads. I hate big leads. I still yeah. use the smallest can reach them with. See, isn't that funny? And I bet if if we both went out together, well, I mean, I'm sure you'd catch more than me, <laughs> to be honest, Sean. But I'm sure we would both catch it. You know, we'd we'd both have our day. Yeah, um, I just wouldn't scare so many of my lads. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably quite right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's an interesting one on that one as well. Actually, I've I've lost it now. But when I uh, brought my dog, mm. um, there was periods in the winter when it was just too cold to take us so I'd, I'd a lot of the local fishing i'd only be going for two and a half hours i'd try and make you do your homework so you're there at the right two and a half hours and such like but i'd catch a lot of fish on those short winter trips whereas the weekend anglers who were there for the 48 hour periods and such like a lot of them wouldn't catch anything till like a day day and a half into the session and i had a few people comment to me about that but a lot of that was just simply setting up on fish and not spooking them mm. yeah you know i was dropping little little ounce bombs in and you know they were just not having a big leg crashing through the water and landing very fast at the side of them you know quite a subtle approach really a couple of baits pv'd on and it's it's sinking very slowly that is y- yes and uh, yeah of, of course i mean and i mean just just to just for anyone that's listening that's can confused by what i said earlier if i saw a fish show and i was going to cast them you know i wouldn't be strapping on a, a, a five ounce lead um i would i would be you know small lead and and uh depending on what water i was fishing probably something like a hinge stiff link just in in case i did fall on some uh, some weed i tend to fish very weedy waters so yeah of, of course you need to you, you need but to bear we that all in do mind. what work for us you know it's you know, there's times I've got to use big leads because they're holding them in place. You know, I fish a few biggish waters and deep waters and you get a little bit of drifting weed and it'd be ridiculous using an ounce lead. Mm. So, you know, I still chuck big leads out at, at them, but I, I definitely prefer smaller leads. If I go over two ounces, I generally use them running. Yeah. See, a, see, a running lead is something, I mean, Pete will tell you this, is something I used to pretty much fish with exclusively. I had my, I got a, a very kind of personalised approach to how I like my running lead, um, and that's a fantastic, fantastic approach. And again, not something you see that often. I mean, once upon a time, that, that many people were on running leads, you don't see that much these days. Certainly, when I go on uh, social media and I look at all these this, this stuff. You don't see many running leads on there. It's usually helicopters or lead clips. Right? Yeah, for the last, I always try and think outside the box a little bit. For the last probably 35 years, perhaps a little bit more, nearly all that the carp have seen have been hook links up to 10 inch and a fixed lead. Mm-hmm. And they've got that little area to play about with. And it's, it's so many common denominators there. You give the fish, because people get paranoid, you know, what if they drop the bait before they eat them and everything else? 
most of the cars have never ever picked up a bait on a pre-running rig. Mm. And a lot of the takes again, they just well, you know, you just mentioned the the pre-running things. They're not going to scream off all of them, but you've got all the time in the world to hit them. Lots mm -hmm. in, in most cases, I use fixed leads on sort of ounce, ounce and a half. But like I say, once I go over two, I, I do like a little bit of movement in there. Yeah, I just think of if you set something up in your living room carpet with a big lead, you can do so much without moving that lead. And until that lead's moved, the indicator ain't going to move. Um, absolutely 100% we're all getting done all the time yeah see, see, which, which is what leads me to, to heavy leads so I mean I, I do a lot of my fishing in the edge of course I you know I, I cast out to distance of course I do obviously um, but also fishing in the edge I, I feel a shorter hook link as long as it's presented well and a, 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 a what I would class as a heavy red lead you know five ounces um in my experience, it's very hard for them to to get away with that, to coin a phrase. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, when you cast it, different things happen. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It is interesting. But as I said, I do, do feel like a, I a get caught in it. Yeah, sorry. No, go on, go on, John. No, I was just going to say you get a, a big difference on how the fish react close in as to how they react out in the lake as well. Yes, you can get away with a lot more out in the lake than yeah than you do right under your under your feet. Yeah. Basically, more in the edge they are, more on edge they are, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which comes down bait and everything else. And as well, I, I never put a lot of bait when I'm fishing close, but I, you know I don't mind having a better bait out away from the bank. Which is very true, isn't it? And I, I bet that that rings true to everyone listening. You wouldn't dream of of really hafing a load of bait in the margin, would you? Um, you know, a kilo or two. Um, I can't imagine anyone putting five, six, seven, eight, ten kilo out in the margin. Yet many people do that every single day out in the middle of the lake, don't they? Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, but but I mean, I think that's probably a pattern which is correct. I think you're right. Um, it's rare for you to see fish really go at it in the margin. I mean, that being said, I've I've seen, you know, a, a, a couple of big fish hoove up many kilos of boily in, in the snags, you know, with, without without any kind of sweat whatsoever. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Generally, they, they do seem more on edge and more finicky, don't they, in, in the margin? Well, I just think along the lines that, you know, if you've got a lot of bait there, I mean, you have got the advantage you colour the water up and you hide your rigs. Mm. you know which can go in your favor but I, I just think the more you bait you've got in the edge the longer they're going to be there and the more chance i've got of them noticing that you're there you know you drop your teacup you make a stumble you you know there's always yeah. a chance of spooking them you know yeah you never uh, know when they're there mm -hmm. as well as that if you've got your hook or a visitor. There, yeah the more the more the more bait is in the edge if you're fishing from if you're stalking the, the less likely they are to pick up your hook bait you know there's more options for them isn't there so of course you want to get them on the feed and perhaps if there's a few fish it's very advantageous to create a feeding situation where they're a little bit competitive but outside of that you don't want too much bait because you want them to pick up your hook bait as quick as possible mm. um, and one of the most natural things is a couple of baits in the edge i mean what does everyone do when they break hook bait off? shock it in the bait in the edge yeah which yeah. has just brought back a, a, a memory from that underwater feature I did. Um, Joe was there and Rob Hughes, and it was three rod water. And the middle rod, 
I just lowered it under in just off the rod top. And Joe looked at it and he says, I've never seen anyone put a margin rod on the middle rod. <laughs> and I says, well, where do you throw your bait when you take it off? And his eyes sort of lit up as if to say, hmm. And that was the first rod that went. We've sort of, sorry, I'm jumping in, um, <clears throat> had this discussion on the on the podcast before. And do you find with fish spooking in the edge as well that um, the angle of the line going through the water makes a difference, Sean? So, for example, yeah, I quite definitely. often find, yeah, like a vertical line. All of a sudden, the fish feels safer, I find. I don't know how you're approaching yeah, well, Again, with that middle margin rod, it, it's something I don't see people do. But doing it on the middle rod, you haven't got the line several feet sideways down the bank mm -hmm. so generally when someone's got a margin rod they've got it you know 20 30 foot away from them aren't they up the side but to my mind that's 20 or 30 foot line the fish can can detect if they're coming in the wrong direction so yeah the, the line placement is is a massive part of my fishing um but a lot of you know we all I still use marker floats. I need to know what's what's in front of me. I don't use them over and over again because gravel bars don't tend to move. You know, I'll log them and they're there forever. But there's there's certain areas where I won't fish because of cutting of the rods off. You know, I always prefer to fish near side of bars rather than over bars. Mm -hmm. Again, just keeping that line out of the way. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And another thing I sort of try and do is rather than um like you're saying, having 30 yards of line down the bank, I'd rather fish under my sort of rod tips and move myself yeah. sort of 30 yards yeah. down the bank so I'm not making any noise and I'm, I'm well and truly out of the way. Yeah, although you're you're probably quite happy just having all the eggs in one basket like that. I think a lot of the lads nowadays, it's it's an extra rod the margin one, isn't it? It's 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 got to be fishing whilst they've got other two effective rods out as well mm. and a lot of the best margin swims don't really lend themselves to that you you know you are better with very true you know, less is more scenario mm -hmm. but yeah i, I think in, in this day and age it's it's been interesting over the years how things develop but at one time i'd i was quite well known for snide rods and things i <laughs> didn't matter to me how many lines were in the water yet Nowadays, I think one of the biggest, biggest scares of carp is line. I think a lot of lakes, people would probably be surprised how many of the caught if they drop down to two rods instead of three rods. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and um, that's actually something that, that myself and Pete um, have done a lot of. In fact, I've done a lot of uh, my fishing with just one rod, um, which is totally to the other extreme. And of course, look, there's some scenarios where you want to get your rods out there um but i tell you what if i was to just do a, a day session i mean i will be fishing 10 times more efficiently with that one rod than i would be if i was to to blast out two or three. Oh, without a doubt yeah and a lot less lot less activity on the bank you haven't got the clutter on the bank mm -hmm. you haven't got the to to my mind we just make it so obvious or most of us make it so obvious to the cart if we take otters out of the situation, they've got one predator and that's us. And what do we do? We go and put a great big greenhouse up. We keep walking to the edge of the water all the time. We mm. just make it so obvious to them that they're there. And we are their only enemy. The discretion side of it, the, the stealth and everything, just seems totally gone now. 
yet that was the number one thing when I started carp fishing. I mean, you couldn't even, you, I didn't even carry a torch. And if anyone ever turned up at a lake and put a torch, I was like, get that <laughs> light out. You know, and it's all, that part of things is just totally gone. Mm. People seem to be quite happy to chug into the swim with a barrow, chuck everything off, get everything set up. And it comes down to this catching them on the two and a half hour sessions again. Most people have spooked them before they start and they're waiting mm -hmm. for them coming back. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I interesting point, though. I'm with you on, on the disturbance and the torch. But have you ever, sh I'm sure you have, have you ever shined a torch at night on fish, perhaps in snags or in the margins? Different characters, this one. Mm. It's, it's, again, one that just outside here, I've got a natural pool in the garden. Um, no line or anything. It's 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 a sprung-fed one, so it's as close to a you know normal lake as mm. you get, really, just smaller. The carp in there never been fished for. You know they they should be semi-tame. I've got three in there. If I put a torch on them, they get demented and spook everything else as well. The rest of the fish, they just seem oblivious. Well, they actually twist and turn the backs to the light. They seem to go onto the side a little bit. Mm. But these, I've got three paranoid ones there. In fact, it's turning dark now. It's, I can't do it because we're not on film. But I could demonstrate it, put a torch on them, and they just go absolutely. They never have got used to it. Interesting. Because of it being a natural pool, it's, it's generally quite mucky because I'm digging away in the silt all the time. But it, it's the best time for me to check the stock is at night with a torch. But like I say, a lot of them are oblivious to it. I accept that, but it's, it's that one that isn't. And if that's in a group of other fish that aren't bothered by the light, they certainly are because one's bothered. Yes, yeah. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> My experience is only really from one water, and and, uh, and it, it, it's a very deep pit uh, in the southwest, some very big fishing. And, uh, and yeah, you, you could walk out onto the snag tree um, and, and shine a torch down onto these fish they would they would react they were aware it was there but they definitely did not spook uh, and i always found that fascinating did you find um, they tilted themselves to the light or did you never notice that i've i've i found no direct correlation to they they would angle at a certain position they would ad agitate slightly mm. you know they, it, it was it was clear something had changed for them now i say that most of the times when I did that, you know, obviously uh, cloud cover or it wasn't a big moon, so I couldn't see them particularly clearly anyway. Maybe you could argue that they were moving like that anyway, but I'm pretty sure just from moving the light across the, the surface that, yeah, they were aware that the light was there, but they, but, but they by no means spooked. You know, they, yeah. they didn't bolt out of the snag or, or anything like that. I, I, I believe they changed their movement and they they you know moved as a result of it but it didn't spook them now obviously that them not spooking and suggesting that they would still feed confidently is is a million miles apart i'm not suggesting they would but nonetheless i found that very interesting yeah that was something there just triggered a thought as well um i remember when i was on on the mangrove syndicate we, it was compulsory we had to do so many work parties a year and at the time, it was a case of rebuilding the stages every year because these were constantly sinking. And you'd be on these stages, it's impossible to keep quiet on a wooden stage. There'd be four of you, 
hammering away and making a load of commotion. And it was the only time you used to see the mangrove carp come and show close. The very, very curious creatures wanted to know what was going off. But I've often said to people, they were there, they came to see what was happening, but you try and get a take from them. Mm. You know, it's a different situation. Mm. And a lot of the time you, you can spook fish, but they don't go anywhere because they want to be where they are. But you don't get them feeding then. Mm. But I accept what you were saying about the light. I, I've seen it myself. I've, I've um, lamped carp on the canal you know, found caught that way and majority of them are oblivious, but you do get the odd mental one. And I just, it's that percentage thing again. Mm. I don't want to spook any of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, back, I mean, light, light and moons, etc. Just to backtrack slightly, there was a question I really wanted to ask you, uh, just for kind of selfish reasons, but I'm sure others will find it interesting too. Um, in terms of your study on the moon phases and the effect of captures, etc., etc., have you found that certain waters do well on certain moons? Um, and if so, is there any particular pattern? Just as a total example, the moon at the minute is a waxing gibbous. Would that work, you know, on, say, a clear pit or like a, a, a silty mirror type thing? Is there any kind of correlation or, or anything that you could expand on for the listeners and me? It's, I've not really noticed a big difference from water to water. They've all been very much the same. In my early years of carping, it used to be practically impossible to get a take on a full moon. We'll mm. talk about the full moon and everything now. Um, basically, in my opinion, a full moon is an absolutely hopeless time for catching a lot of carp. Mm. Yeah. The majority of the carp aren't feeding. Back in the day, most it comes back to this young and old thing again. Back in the day, it was one of these eureka moments a few years ago when I suddenly thought of this old and young. We couldn't catch them then because it was all relatively young carp we were fishing for. They still got the shoaling instinct. They were still protecting themselves against predation. And they basically just weren't feeding. As the years go on, the fish get older, they realise they haven't got anything predating on them, and the older ones carry on living their lives. In a nutshell, the, the absolute simplicity of the moon thing, how I see it, you'll get the two weeks from the start of a full moon to the new moon is the time I've always had big hits of fish. If you can get a big hit of fish, it's generally in that period in the first two weeks from the start to the full. Mm -hmm. From the full to the start, back to the start of it again, the second two weeks, that's always been the most difficult for me. I've never had big, you'll always get an exception because the wild creatures, you know, you get exceptional weather conditions, atmospheric pressures and everything else. But generally speaking, you get two good weeks, two poor weeks, two good weeks, two poor weeks. Yeah, it, very much what I've found that's as well. I mean, totally it, simplifying it, but that's that's good enough to work your way around and book holidays and things around. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people talk about big moons and commons, uh, common carp, um, and sure that I've seen some patterns of that on the waters I've fished. Um, what what's your take on on big moon, big common? It's not just the commons. The mirrors are affected as well, but I think it's more noticeable on the commons. Um, 
I always, on a full moon, fish a water that's got a big common in it. Mm. It's just quite fortunate to have, to have had one or two now over the years, and they've nearly all fallen on the two days before or two days after, mm. and the full moon. Um, it, it's the classic one, which I quote, but you know, it's I quote it because it is a classic one. I have said it before. I've been in print saying it before, and I think I've said it on a podcast before. It was about three, four years ago. Uh, I made mention on on social media. I think it was the Thursday. I said full moon on Saturday. There'll be some big commons out this weekend, and the usual thing. I got slated for it. You know what a load of nonsense. Yeah. I think the following day, the biggest fish in the lake came out. The Saturday when I was there, I had one of the forties. Another one came out as well. Then the Sunday, late next door, one of the 45 comes come out from there. It was like the four biggest fish on the complex all came yeah. out that weekend straight after everyone told me I was talking nonsense. You know, it was it, it was the classic one. It was the April one, which is, is a really good one anyway. And I don't know, it just... I can get the diaries out and bore everyone forevermore. But, you know, I can show it time and time again. You'll get the scenario where someone will say, oh, yeah, but I caught one, and it was in the middle of the moon phases. Well, yeah, the big fish, they feed every day. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they don't just feed, you know, four days a, a month. Yeah. But on the whole, you, you basically, you're making it easier to catch them because there's less fish feeding. You know, if you can feed when only a small percentage of the lake are feeding and they're generally the bigger ones, they're the ones you're going to catch. But like I said, they're actually poor fishing conditions. Mm. You ain't going to catch the, the big one and another dozen to go with it. But, you know, it depends what you want in your angling. Mm. I mean, at one time, there's no way I'd take holiday on a full moon. Yet nowadays, I try and angle them all around that because I don't feel as though I need to catch a lot of fish anymore. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> do you, do if you... I was going for pure fun fishing, I'd... Yeah, if I was booking a holiday for it, I'd book a holiday ideally starting sort of four or five days into the new moon starting. Mm. And that middle period, just everything seems to feed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you say everything, actually. I, I, I don't think it's limited to carp, is it? Um, no. no. It, it, it seems pretty prevalent across the board. Um, if you're fishing yeah. waters with a lot of fish and just a handful of bigger fish, then the, the worst period, the full moon to the start of the new moon, mm. that's, you know, a lot of those bigger, older fish are feeding more so than the others then anyway. They've got to, the bigger fish. So big fish angling, I tend to fish the worst periods these days. Makes sense, yeah. I like it. Um, with your sort of like, your, your study of fish behaviour and your moon phases, um, is, it, is it all based purely on catch results or is it have you sort of witnessed it in fish behavior as well or no it's mostly on bobbing activity and catch results and mm. the the beauty of google now because I've, I've kept records back from the 70s if you put in i don't know the 27th of july 1978 it'll tell you what the moon phase was mm-hmm. so i've been able to go back through a a lifetime's captures basically and start with you know you just do it on your bigger fish and marry them up and it's it's amazing how many of them are falling but the start of the new moon as well um 
seems to be a big fish period. It's never been as noticeable to me as the full moon, but the, the start of it, a lot of people swear by that. I remember when I was talking to Jamie Klossick about it, he prefers the, the start of the new moon. But it's had a few big fish around them, but certainly the, the full moon's the one for me. Mm. Is that just with, sorry to cut in there, Pete. I know I, I think you wanted to go somewhere with that. When you say that, that's the one for you. That that's commons and mirrors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do do you feel that there is some? I mean, a lot of people say about you know big moons, big commons. Um, do you think it kind of leans itself towards the the commons coming on the feed for whatever reason, or or do you think it's it's just a big fish or old fish, should we say, thing? It seems more pronounced with the common. You, you get a water with only a handful of commons in compared to mirrors, and yeah. they'll still be the ones coming out. Why is that then? I really don't know. Mm. I really don't know. I've always seen commons and mirrors as, as different species anyway. Yeah. I yeah. know it's Cyprinus carpio. It's supposedly the same, mm. same as Koi is supposed to be the same, but they behave differently as well. You look, an Alsatian and a Chihuahua, <laughs> they came from the same place, but they're very different yeah. animals, aren't they? That's right, that's yeah. right. And, and different strains of fish, you know. Again, I'm, I'm finding it interesting now because we've got so many more strains coming to the situation now than we ever had before. And each one, they, they behave differently. Mm. You know, and a, a method that, that works for, I don't know, Everyone likes called the simos and such like, but a method that works well for the simos ain't always going to work well with a, a lean common or a heavy scaled mirror. Or, mm. you know, that, again, it's something I've said before, but it's, it's worth saying again for people who haven't heard it. But on the years I spent on Grenville, uh, the simos on there, they'd, you get a big change of wind, they'd be on it straight away, feed and be straight off of it again. They wouldn't sit on it. The Andy Park fish, the other fish in hmm. there, they'd live on the big wind. You'd see them boshing out on it constantly. They loved it, but the Simos didn't. It's as though they just didn't want to be knocked about. They didn't like the turbulence. Did 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 they stay more towards the end of the wind, kind of on the wind, but off the wind, if that makes sense? Or did they completely shy away from it? They'd back right off it once they'd had the feed. Right. And once I'd, I'd realised what was happening there, because, you know, people would sit on the wind and you catch fish and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd tend to pay attention to to strains of carp people are catching as well as other things. And it, it soon become noticeable that they just wouldn't sit on the wind for long. And once I realised that, I started fishing behind the wind and my average weight on Grenville went right up. Mm. And... I was basically fishing where there was living. There was only really moving on the fresh wind, then getting straight off it again. Interesting. Yeah, and Grenville's, it, it's, I don't know too much about it, to be honest. It's quite a big water, right? Yeah, it was a mile and a half around the bank. Mm. Um, 80 acres just under, I believe. Um, yeah, a big chunk of water, but very deep as well. A lot of it was, it was 25, 35 foot. So you got, real big undertows going on in there you got yeah. well basically river systems i think if you could have dropped the level down you'd have had massive flows at times you may have mm. trouble keeping leads in place at times but they they didn't like it rough those fish yet the andy parker fish the scalies they loved it mm. the rougher the better and you caught them and you'd bag up with them and that just sparked <laughs> sparked a question you said that the scalies do you think it's 
possibly something as simple as having extra scales, like almost plates? I think there's something in that, actually. Again, it's mm. something I've said tongue-in-cheek over the years with Winterfish. Uh, in the absolute extreme conditions... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Okay. In the extreme conditions and the coldest conditions, um, it tends to be the cart with more scales that come out. Mm. I've been, wow. again, ridiculed on that one a few times, but I, I, guess I can just show so many examples of that. Would you put commons in that bracket as well? Yeah, yeah, commons and, and yeah. mirrors with scales. Obviously, you know, somebody will come out and say, I had a leather in freezing conditions. Well, yeah, you know, you, <laughs> there's always going to be exceptions. But the, they're definitely hardier fish. Another little thing just triggered in my mind as well about coming back to pressure and us being the, the only predator and everything else. It's a lesson I learned in my early years of it, one of the local anglers, Baz Varney, had said it to me in the early 80s. And I, I could always hold my head high. I've always been able to catch fish, fortunately. But I've always, I always used to be one who had to catch a lot of fish to catch a bigger fish. Mm. And I got into conversation with him one day about that. And one of the early tips I was given was to fish the swim with the most froth in it, the most foam in it. Basically, the swim that's got the most wind blowing into it. Yeah. And I took that advice and I caught a lot of fish. And it was a great point for me. If I couldn't find fish, I just fished the most turbulent swim. Got talking to, to Baz about this, and he says, you know where you go wrong? He says, you're fishing the ideal spots. Right. He says, set up three swims away from where you think they're going to be. Mm. And he started talking then about the warier fish holding back and this, that, and the other. And I, I, you know, I've got massive respect. In fact, Baz ended up becoming my brother-in-law, to be fair. But it's a, <laughs> a long story, that one. Yes. Yeah, but I've got massive respect for it. I mean, it, it was catching 30s in the, in the you know, late 70s, early 80s. Oh, wow. You know, when there was yeah. probably only half a dozen a year caught sort of thing. And I took that on board. And sure enough, average weight of fish went up. And such a simple lesson that I was fishing too effectively. And I've, I've done that on a few lakes now where I've caught a lot of fish, but not particularly the bigger fish. And I've reminded myself of certain things, taking a step back, fish slightly differently, perhaps not going in the swim I really think I'm going to be in. And I've ended up catching bigger fish. And it's just another one of those interesting ones. You know, I think in recent years, because I can be a little bit more picky on my times now, I can bend the rules a little bit, get off a bit earlier than other people and such like. Mm. And I, I get a better choice of swim nowadays, but it doesn't necessarily mean I catch as many bigger fish. I yeah. think it goes against me a lot of the time. Mm. Mm. Almost yeah. as though the fish are expecting to be caught in certain spots, certain areas, and they're just that little bit more on edge again. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think it's this is this leads us on to a, a what I see as a a bit of a downside of, of modern angling is you're almost, it's not just you against those fish. It's you against the other anglers and the other anglers influence on those fish. So all of a sudden the, the, what, what seems to me like the purity of 
pitting your wits against the the situation and the fish is all of a sudden diluted because these fish are conditioned to angler x y and z and and then the anglers do you you see what i'm trying to say and perhaps i'm a bit of an idealist but it's all of a sudden it seems a bit watered down and it's why i've preferred the winters for so many years now. yeah it's Mm. more myself against the fish rather than myself against anglers against the fish yes yeah 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 i think i think i mean me and pete will will testify to that i think it's both of our favorite season um not because of comfort you know obviously it's uh it's uncomfortable but yeah just the fact that it's generally you and the fish out there um and it's a refreshing change you know it's it's i don't want to learn how people are affecting the fish and how to overcome that i want to learn about the fish's habits and how to overcome that if if that makes sense yeah um yeah. so yeah yeah I, I mean I, i'm very picky on the water of fish I, I do fish one busy one uh, i've got a local one and there's some incredible fish in there and i keep fishing it but uh they're the water that i'm a member of it's you don't see many people and to mm. me the venue is more important than fish that are in there yeah you know, I have to enjoy where I am and use methods that mm. I enjoy. There's lots of styles of carp fishing I don't particularly enjoy doing. Yeah. In terms of carp angling, do do you do much these days, or is it in the UK? Is it mostly over bro- overseas, or no, I generally, obviously not whilst we're on the lockdown. But yeah, uh, I average two nights a week all through the year. Is is that local to you? Do you, do you travel? Or... No, I travel as well. Um, mm. This last year, I've, I've my father hasn't been very well, so I've had to sort of stick relatively local. But for a lot of years, all of my fishing was hour and a half, two hours away because I had to. I live on the Nottinghamshire Derbyshire border and <laughs> we just didn't have fish around us. Yeah. I mean, it's a different situation now. Just down the road from me, there's a, a pit that a fish that's got several 40s in it. You know, and it's, mm. it's unbelievable, really, from what I've grown up with. Over the years, slowly the distances have got shorter because I've, I've not needed to travel so far. But generally, I, I do most of my fishing now within a 50-mile radius. Yeah, nice. Yeah, very nice. I do have overseas trips, but, uh, you know, my, my main thing is, is UK angling. Mm. Okay. Okay, I, I guess that kind of leads us on to a question I wanted to ask you. What is, in terms of carp, what is your PB? Not the heaviest fish. I'm not interested in that whatsoever. In terms of what what carp means the absolute most to you that you've ever caught? I'm glad you've said that because I'd have followed the question on with <laughs> the personal best isn't the biggest. Yeah, good. Oh, good man. Um, I like that. You've thrown me for a moment there. Have a think. There's no rush. Mull it over. Probably my first 30 pound carp, which goes opposite to what I just said, because, you know, it was the biggest one at the time. Mm. I I started writing in 1986 in the magazines. And at the time, they used to usually put on the side of your profile your biggest fish of each species and everything else. And I was a little bit embarrassed at the time that I'd not had a 30-pound carp because I, I wasn't fishing waters where 30-pound carp existed. And to me, I wanted the first one to be a real special one. Mm. 
um, I really wanted to catch one in my area, but I didn't know for certain of one in Nottinghamshire or Derbyshire. Went on the inkling of water that possibly I'd heard a rumour there'd been one caught. And I fished it and eventually I caught my first £30 fish, which got seen for another eight years afterwards, but never got caught again. And I think really deep down, it was such a special fish for me at the time anyway, and the fact that it avoided everybody else, despite quite a lot of people after it, you know, that was probably stands high up there. Mm. What year was that? Um, late 80s. I could tell you if I got a diary to hand, but <laughs> probably eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I mean, was, was there... In fact, I put a picture of it on social media today. <laughs> oh, there we go. It's only just I'm a, have to have a, a look bit of a coincidence, that, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> what, are you, is that Facebook, Instagram, where are you most yeah, active? Yeah, I put it on Facebook. I just put yeah. a picture of first double, first 20, first 30, first 40. Oh, amazing. Oh, I'll have to have UK a look. ones, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there a certain time in your angling history that that you would deem as your golden years that you really kind of look back on with envy? There's been one or two, actually. The mangrove years was very special, particularly the winters. Um, when I joined the mangrove, I, I said Tim Paisley that I was really looking forward to the winter and he, he sort of looked at me and he says, well, good luck, he says. Um, I think there'd only been two fish caught between Christmas and March. They used to catch them up till Christmas Eve, then, then mm. just you switch off. And I just said to him, well, it's, it just ticks all the boxes for me for being good winter water. And it was like, good luck, you know, get on with it. And the first winter I fished it from January till end of February, I had 20 something fish. Mm. And that was absolute amazing fishing that was. From a, a place that wasn't known for producing them, and I was having the, the bigger fish as well. You know, I mean, that's going back quite a few years now. Yeah, I think three trips on a trot now, 35 pound plus fish, commons and mirrors. And, mm. But hits of fish as well. I was just doing single day sessions. I was driving for four hours for eight hours fishing. Wow. Dedication. Or stupidity. <laughs> Bit of both, maybe. I don't know. In a Land Rover as well, so it was costing me a fortune as well. Oh, wow. Well, that's pricey. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But no, that was a real, real special time. That You know, that, I just saw it as pioneering type stuff, really, because it, it hadn't really been done. People had tried, but I, I'd taken a gamble the year before on, on baiting. And I'd, I'd, they used to like the bait on the mangrove. And I'd gone through the summer with every big bucket of bait, I put a handful of what I was going to use as a winter bait on there. So they'd had a whole summer of a little trickle of, of the bait that I ended up using. And uh, I don't know if that made all the difference or not, but I think it was just incredible fishing when I eventually, you know, eventually did it. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Pete, are you still here? Are you alive, yeah, Pete? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Okay. He's getting um, drunk on his Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's sad stuff. Um, another, another sort of um, a question we sort of got jotted down. So obviously you're incredibly well-renowned um, for your carp fishing um, and in the carp industry. 
Um, but is there anything sort of like the angling world um, does not know uh, about you that they would be surprised to hear? Oh, well, I've always fished for all species anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, spent two years, two summers in the 80s fishing for catfish and caught the biggest intentionally caught one in the UK at the time. Mm. Something people perhaps don't know. Mm. I didn't know um, that. That was 1987. I had that. The, the record at the time was a 43 pound fish from Wilston Reservoir at Tring. Um, at the time, it was the only catfish ever caught there. It was taken out so you couldn't catch it again. Mm. So it was, it was total fluke, really. It was like someone catching record catfish out of the water that you're fishing. You know, it's like, you know, what's that all about? If it hadn't been for that one, I'd have held the record in, in 1987 for catfish. Um, didn't fish for them for a while after that, other than doing something for Channel 4. I, I did something for Heart of the Country, a little bit of a catfish thing for them. Um, then I spent a couple of years fishing with Jan Porter. I got him back into fishing after mm. after he'd packed up fishing and slowly turned him into a spazzy angler rather than the man in red. Uh, but it, it kept pestering me to take him catfishing. And by that time, the imports had started coming in. And I, I wasn't really interested in it. But eventually, he just said to me one session, because we were fishing together all the time, and he says, right, he says, I booked us two tickets on um, Winton's. Um, you're going catfishing. You're going to show me how to catch catfish. You're doing it as a favour. You know, all right. So I went down there, and it was like first session, really, other than the TV thing that I'd done since I'd had the big one. And I think the first fish I had was 58 something. I think that was the third biggest at that time, you know, because obviously, you know, the fish had started to grow. Left them alone for quite a lot of years after that. Then had a phone call one day from a very well known person in the tackle trade who was in a syndicate. And he told me somebody had just had a catfish that they estimated to be about £70, which was over the record at the time. Couldn't wait because it bottomed £56 scales out. But he says, if you, I can take a guest if you want to come down and have a go. I know you like cats. So I went down to have a go, and uh, first fish out from there was 108. I think the record was 62 at the time or something like wow. that. But it was a no publicity thing. You know, I couldn't tell anyone about that or anything. So, you know, that was one that went under the is, is ground for a long while. Is that because cats shouldn't have been in there at the time? Possibly. 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 Mm. Yeah. Didn't really question it, to be fair. But Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. I was assured that the biggest one that had been stopped was 40-odd pound, though. So, you know, it's done rather well for itself, that one. Um, other than that, I've... Also had a two hundred pound blue shark on bait catching gear. Wow, uh, that was a bit different. Caught salmon from nine different rivers. I never tell anyone about that. Is that is that UK as well? Yeah. See, that's yeah. quite a feat. That is really. Mm, that's well. I spent twenty five years in a tackle show. It was quite heavy on the game angling side, and mm. everybody knew me as a carp angler because that's mainly what I've written about over the years and things. And I'd, Sometimes drop that one out for dad and from Nine Rivers and people's jaws just used to drop. They do now when I talk to them. Yeah. You know, 
you know, the few people who were into the game angling. It's it's one that I should be most proud of, really, I suppose. And have you had them? Is that have you been spinning for them, or has that been on a fly? No, the the I prefer the small rivers, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of the rivers are fished. It's it's just been impractical with the fly, really, without spooking them and getting in the river and everything. Most of them have been lures. Yeah, yeah. Did you say you're in the in the south, southwest? I've used to fish the Devon rivers a little bit. You have, like, yeah. Sorry, caught from the Teen and the Bovey down that way. Okay, um, I've done a little bit on the Dart before. Um, right, but only as a child with my dad, so he's a big sort of fly angler. Right, um, I've I've only caught a few sort of brownies and things. I've, I've never, do you know what? I've never caught a salmon actually. Um, no. And that's something that has to has to go on the list, yeah. Um, my dad's a super, super keen salmon angler. Um, he's had some cracking sort of double-figure fish out of the dart over the years. Um, right, so you've got to experience it. The first one ever hooked to realise just how little carp fight. I always used to think carp fought hard until mm-hmm. it was salmon. Just flat rodgy and everything. Especially, especially in the current as well. I think a lot of people don't fish for for carp in rivers so for example down in cornwall um there aren't any sort of river carp at all no, um, no. so you don't have that experience of um of having the fish in the flow as well no that, that's true because I, I used to uh, fish the river trent a lot for the carp in the winter and same there you'd hook a fish and just everyone felt a monster mm. they never were but they all felt like monsters <laughs> that's it um, um you- so Go on, Sam. Sorry. So, sorry, I was just going to ask: Do you feel that um, carp have more stamina than than the the, tr- uh, the sorry the salmon, um, or do you feel that the salmon beat them every which way? Uh, no, it's a fast, hectic fight with the salmon, mm. which you know it doesn't last a long. No, no, no but they totally destroy really yeah i can remember two or three times where i've had to get in the river and go around bends and things where you've just not been able to to do anything with them yeah you just have to catch up with them but yeah carp carp do do keep going a bit longer yeah and it's an unfair scenario like i just said that the if you compare them to a river carp it's you know they are very powerful river carp Mm. but a lot slower yes yeah yeah interesting very interesting we don't. I we find don't. it interesting the different fights you get from different things. I went to yeah. Texas a few years ago fishing for the smallmouth buffalo. Huge were, tails, yeah. Yeah, they're incredibly powerful, but yeah. didn't do a lot. Really? Yeah, they're like like playing a great big bream, really. Really? Yeah, they take line. You know, they they would fight, but very slow. Not you know, they didn't take off like a carp does. See, I would have presumed they'd fight very well. Um, in fact, I'm wrong. They don't have big tails, do they? I think they have big pecs. Is that have I got the right species, or am I wrong? Um, I always liken them to a badly drawn bream. <laughs> oh, sorry, a badly drawn carp. They, right. they look, they've, they've evolved very similar to carp. They've got the same sort of dorsal fin. All the other fins are in the same place. There's a little bit more pointed tail than a carp. But they're not related to carp at all. People call them buffalo carp, but they're actually a sucker fish family. But when I went uh, to fish those, I, I wanted to go and fish something different, but carp fish for it, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're an interesting fish. 
Yeah, see, I was picturing picturing those with with a big tail, um, but I think they've do they have big pecs? Um, I think they have it's big pecs, or I'm pretty or not. much in proportion, to be fair. Okay. Yeah, okay. They're not dissimilar to carp at all, other than this tiny little mouth they've got mm. and a big black eye. All right. Okay. Okay. We've gone off carp. We have. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go on, Pete. You were going somewhere with that. Um. No. No. I think we've sort of gone gone to gone to salmon and and across. Um. But I can I can certainly go down through our sort of our our, our list of scribblings um, that me and Sam have put together. Um, so, so another interesting one, I guess. Um, you've you've spoken about sort of common themes regarding sort of like the moon phases and what you've what you've discovered over your angling history. Uh, but regarding captures, what common themes have you noticed that are out of the norm? I'm not with you. Sorry, um, just run that one by me again. So okay. Um, so so have you have you noticed any sort of common themes, so like a running theme in your fishing? um that, that that possibly um is out of the out of the norm or out of i guess like a like a mainstream sort of ideal or someone's understanding of it so i've gone quiet on you no that's all right um i don't know if sam's got of, any sort of like an example or if i'm hit one of the first times i dared put my foot down and go against the grain of what everybody had preached for years mm-hmm. was a, a bait scenario. Um, I don't know if this sort of thing you mean or not, but... No, this is, yeah, no, great. Definitely. I was brought up on the situation. If you read a lot of the 80s books and such like that all go on about milk protein baits in the winter and this, that and the other. And I got sucked into the scenario of trying to make baits as high in protein as possibly could. We all used 10-ounce mixers so that it could work the protein values out easier. And it seemed to be, personally, I could make baits up to about 85%. Everything was, people were aiming at 80 85% on baits. And the more I felt I got the bait right, the worse my catches were. And I'd been brainwashed thinking, well, you know, it's, I'm just getting everything else wrong, getting location wrong, getting rigs wrong, something's wrong, but the bait's perfect, you know, the bait can't be any better. And it was pure chancing. I still lived at the parents at the time, and I, I walked through the living room one night, and they'd got the television on. And as I walked through, just a comment from the TV said something along the lines of protein binding animals up. And straight away, I had an alarm bell in my head thinking, we're making these baits as high in protein as we can, so we're binding them up and stopping them feeding. And that was the first time I, I probably started taking my own route on, on bait, other than the very early days of the pace and things. And I immediately went and diluted the base mixes down, basically. I remember, I, I, I used to keep my ingredients in, in the old sweet jars you used to get in the shops. And I went to put 10 ounces of my normal mix in a jar, went through the cupboards and there were some quaker oats in the cupboards, ground some quaker oats so I can put 10 ounces of that in, into the jar. And there was 10 ounces of something else. I can't remember if it was flour or whatever. Might even been wheat germ, I'm not sure now. But I diluted the protein value down and suddenly 
recapturates your sword. And it just becomes obvious thing to me then. It's like, you know, we've, we've been doing it wrong binding these fish up. You know, you, you, you're feeding them, they're eating it, but they're ages before they're eating again. And this was midwinter. And over the years, it's sort of common knowledge now that carp can't really utilise much more than about 40% anyway. And it just, I can remember putting my neck on the line in a magazine. I, I wrote what I thought about it, expecting to get my head ripped off, and no one ever challenged it. And it's, that was probably the first really successful baits I had when suddenly, you know, I'm noticing a big, big difference. And it was just going against the grain and not accepting what, what we'd all been told for years. Yeah, is that, is that something you still do today is um, look for sort of um, high I, digestible baits? Yeah, very important for me that the baits don't stay in the fish for long. Mm. Yeah. Uh, is there anything um, you could, I guess for, for our listeners, you could, you could suggest to sort of increase that gut transit time? I use very little oil of any description in baits, very little fat. I mean, carp haven't evolved to, to deal with oil and fat anyway. Um, again, it's one of these things you get quoted, well, all the fish pellets have got oil in them. Fish pellets are made to grow fish quick in farms. They're not made to get through and come out quick and everything. They want to pull the weight on the fish. Um, that, it, a lot of the things I use are... I use a lot of ingredients that aren't generally associated with bait, but I, I'm very heavily into cooking and such like, and got quite a lot of interesting food. And a lot of the baits are based very much around the sort of things that we eat, and the things that we can pass through quite easily. Generally, the carp can. Yeah. You know, so the normal roughage bits. Still important to give them the food element in there as well, but make sure that they can deal with it and get rid of it again. That's it. And you, you sort of mentioned milk protein sort of like back in the day when the, the HNV baits came out, I guess, and everyone was getting as much protein as they could in the bait. But is that something you sort of touch on anymore is milk proteins or have they sort of sort of died a death with you? Not really. Um, use a couple of milk powders, but I, I certainly don't use the things that, you know, we were all using, you know, you try and by the very best casein all the time and that talbot means and such like so mm -hmm. no no i don't don't follow that route and in the commercial side of things it, most of those bits are too expensive to use anyway yeah they've all sort of um milk products i think have really sort of escalated in price haven't they yeah um, yeah and it was always always touch and go how good a quality he was buying as well you know there's a, there's a lot of people had real bad seasons just through one duff ingredient uh -huh. And again, it's one of them situations. I, I try and iron out any element that can go wrong. That's it. I think I think we sort of, as, as bait makers as well, you sort of succumb to sort of sometimes you just don't get that consistency, um, or the control. You don't get the control over the consistency of the product you're buying as well. No, well, the obvious one over the last few years is, is fish meals. They just there's not the choice that there used to be anyway, but the quality is, is deteriorated massively in, in recent years. It's just, there isn't enough of it out there. The, the bait dealers, doesn't matter how big you are, you can be the biggest one in the world. You're tiny compared to the pet food industry mm -hmm. and the pellet industry. Mm -hmm. And we're basically, we get offered the dregs. Unfortunately, I've, I've 
built a company not using fish meals. <laughs> you know, that, that's not a dig at everybody who uses fish meals and things. I'm just very fortunate that I haven't had to suffer like that. Mm. I mean, in the, what is it? I, I caught my first carp in 1977. And in that time, I've only had two summers where I've used fish meal baits. Wow. That's surprising, that is. That's... Say that again for, for the listeners, Sean, because this will be a shock for people. Well, I started in 1977, so that's 43 years I've been catching carp, and only two summers I've used fish meal baits. Wow. That, that, that I is just, I don't, phenomenal. I think the last time I used a fish meal bait properly, I've, you know, sometimes I've grab a bag of something because i mean special travel did for years got fish meal in yeah. it, and i'd occasionally mix it in with other baits but the last time i actually fish fish meals over fish meal so to speak could be it's be a baston fan days so it'd be 90s i've so, not used fish meal since then incredible did, did, that is amazing so i mean is is this because you believe there's that 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 your knowledge and bait formulation ingredients are best spent elsewhere? Or is it just because you prefer a non-fish meal bait? I mean, what what is the reason for that? I'd, certainly now, with the quality of what there is out there now, I, I certainly prefer a non-fish meal bait. Wow. Um, I've had to do fish meal baits over the years because customers demand it, you know, customers want them. Mm. But uh, I don't use them myself. Um, I've all the way through my life I've, I've always been a natural rebel i've never liked to conform i've always sort of tried to do my own mm, thing and for mm -hmm. a lot of the years certainly through the 90s when i suppose the big fish meal boom came with the premier baits scenario the old nod oil and nutri baits with the big fish mix at the time and suddenly everybody just seemed to go fish meal wise so the way my brain works i just don't do it you know i've always gone the other way and baits that were always good, they still are. And they're so different for most of the carp nowadays. You know, most carp these days, they, because of what's available, the majority of companies are all using the same two or three meals all the time. There's not a lot of difference on the, the main yeah. food part of the bait. Most people are using very, very similar baits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Potentially with a different attractor, you know, I mean, what, we would now call an attract package um and a different flavor i understand it it's as as far as what the carp detects very much samey samey um i mean and, it can uh, be uh, argued that everybody's baiting up for you but yeah rather, rather than being in the line waiting for my turn i'd rather Agreed. be the bloke mm. i'm blanking yep. or really having it off 100 you know, i'd yep. rather step outside the box and which is what i've always done absolutely absolutely J just to just to touch upon because i mean people are going to be fascinated by this uh, and i think you'll be you'll be causing a few revelations for people i mean in terms of the fish mills that aren't available today of of course you know we're, we're somewhat narrowed these days um but you've still got some good fish mills i mean sopropesh still make their pre-digested uh cpsp 90 things like that that many people in the bait game would deem you know top notch fish meals do you feel that there's better alternatives to them or or do you feel that they're you know overshadowed by certain new 
options or, or do you feel that actually they There's weren't that good odd... in the first place or, or no, what? No, no, they did. I mean, a good fish meal is a good fish meal, but there's a lot of other things that are equally as good. Yeah. And on the commercial side of things, I, we do do freezer bait still, but majority of the cells are, are shelf life. A um, little bit different. We don't use preservatives like a, a lots of the companies had to over the years. Things have moved on so much in the last 30 yeah. years, you know. I mean, there's hardly anything in our own food chain that isn't stabilized is is what it's referred to rather than totally preserving and there's quite a lot of ingredients that i can't use anyway without using a, a preservative with it and it's a route to choose not to do but there's plenty of other yeah. ingredients that i can stabilize and that's that's where we take it that's where we go uh, i do get all this of course you use preservatives da, 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 da. standard like the spicy spirulina we mentioned earlier if you stand that in the sun and let it sweat for a morning it'll go off as quick as any other fresh paint yeah put liquid in it and it reactivates itself mm. so you know if they're full of preservatives they wouldn't do that yeah yeah exactly and i mean i do i mean just to switch gears for for the listener you you were the the curator of a few of the very early nash baits um the whiskey mix which i used one of the one of the first ones i used um and the 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 amber attract is it right that you were the kind of brains behind those creations the whiskey was put towards the the field testers or consultants whatever you wanted to call them at the time when people did actually test things yeah and nobody caught on it, and I had a phenomenal amount of fish on it. Hmm. And it ended up, I kept saying to Kevin how good it was, and he wouldn't have it because nobody was catching. But the, it all comes down to the amounts again. People were using it at, at silly amounts. It was using it too high a percentage. I ended up scrounging all the other field testers' whiskey often because they didn't want it because it didn't work. <laughs> and <clears throat> after I beat my drum hard enough Kevin realized you know well, he's, I used to talk to him almost a daily basis at the time he knew exactly what I was catching and everything and in the end it came out you know vastly diluted which you had to do you know in the concentrations that it was in you couldn't really use it you know you, you was using it in drops rather than the five mil that everybody was using but yeah yeah I was responsible for it actually ending up on the market but it wasn't something I discovered myself it just came about from being sent it and finding the right way to use it. I basically diluted it down with some other liquids anyway, so it was easier to use. I, you know, I was mixing it in with a cream and a pro taste that he used to do and, and various other things. Yeah, yeah. So, I basically so, mellowed it off. Yeah, yeah, which I guess goes back to what we were talking about earlier, in uh, as much as more is not always more. Um, sometimes you no, need to dial back. Right, <clears throat> yeah, I mean the amber attract. I mean, for me, that was a mix that was phenomenally. Uh, it, it 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 did a lot for me. Um, I did very very well on that. Um, it, that is that something that you've carried over to your line of baits. Obviously, you you own Quest baits for those for those listeners that haven't connected the dots. Um, is this something that you do you utilize now or not? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that 
bait was put together in 1988 originally. It was on catching products um, ingredients. Uh, there's a long story there. Not going to that. I've been into that one before. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, since 1988, obviously you learn a few things, and there's a couple of ingredients have changed for you know what I, I personally think about. Well, they are better ingredients, but it's basically the same mix in a bait that we could do called Magnum White and a new one this year called Magnum Maple. That's basically Amber Tracks with a couple of tweaks. Okay. You say Magnum Maple. Um, yeah. You've obviously got a maple flavour there, right? Yeah. I'd, the All the baits we've done over the years have all had their own base mix. Um, I know that there's companies there, they just stick a different flavour in, different colour, and that's the new bait. Mm. But I've always worked on a total, total bait, total base mix. The first bait I did on the um, the yellow bursted, the amber trap scenario was a bait called Fruity Trifle. Mm. Sold that for years. Bought the Magnum White out, which is a cream bait, and that was the first one I ever did on an existing base mix. That went on to the Fruity Trifle base mix. So ended up taking all the sales from the Fruity Trifle, so I dropped that. The maple one we just released, I've had some clever little ingredients for a while now that I've wanted to do something with. And they've ended up in the in the maple, but again that I shared the Magnum White base mix. Hmm. Smells very different, tastes very different, but the, the actual bulk of it is the same. Yeah. But they're so... those three baits are the only ones in the Quest Baits range. I mean there's probably been twenty something different baits over the years. Hmm. They've all been totally independent base mixes other than that one is, well, it's such a good base mix. It's sad to keep repeating itself. Yeah, I, I would contest that for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, and for those that don't know, uh, Magnum White, I think that's been one of your longest standing baits. Is is that right? And that's based off of the Amber Attract. It's not one of the longest ones. It's, it's quite a few years now. But, okay. Um, yeah, that, the actual base mix, like I say, it was Fruity Trifle originally in the range. Um, okay. that, that's been there since the start of Quest Bait. Well, since 1988, since years before Quest Bait. Yeah. Mm. Okay, okay. And this new maple, is is that's basically based off of the old Amber Attract recipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just totally different attract system in there, different pads in there, different liquids in there. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's one of those, uh, it's the old classic as well, you know, it was it was a bait that everybody used to go back onto in, in the 80s. If you had a few duff sessions, you go back to using Scopex, maple or strawberry, you know, mm. or tutti frutti. You know, there were baits that you knew you could always get action on. And it's, it's one that's very much been forgotten about over the years. You know, old companies have had little dabbles with it again, but, but it's more... A couple of, I mean, the maple is the thing that you can smell on it, but it, it's more a couple of other bits that are in there that are other special bits. Yeah. The yeah, maple's for sure. there for the angler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's interesting. The the maple flavor, there. there's a connection to, to fenugreek there. Um, I don't know if you can speak on this or not, but fenugreek is something that, I mean, I'm a big believer in. It's something that I uh, I definitely utilize in my own baits. Um, fenugreek, uh, oily resins and, and essential oils. 
it's 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 a winner. It's it's used in a lot of different baits. I've not that... made a bait without an essential oil since the eighties. Oh, there we go, there we go. And am I right in saying that the maple flavour uh, may well utilise certain aspects of the fenugreek? Possibly, possibly. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Enough said. Yeah, the actual maple that everyone can smell yeah that's that's not my blend of liquids i've used a um a chemist to do that you know it's it's mm. not something i put together so i'm not exactly sure what he's got in there i went through a lot of different liquid maples though before i you know stumbled yeah. on the one that that the fish in the garden start with seems to enjoy more and then yeah you know i, I do everything through observation you know so don't buy something and think right that's it fortunately you can still get samples from places so you, yeah. you can have plenty of stuff to play about with you know mm. yeah so so i mean i it, again it depends where you get it from um, i believe the maple flavor um you you can link that back to fenugreek um and indeed mm. you can use fenugreek in in many different forms early resins essential oils and of course uh, the actual herb itself yeah, I guess I'm I'm a big believer in using the actual thing as well. You yeah. know, it's yeah, again, as I said earlier, every bait has essential oils in there. Which is a story in that one when in the early days of Quest Baits we we had growth problems, we had struggled to keep up. I mean, it was really nice. I had uh, three different factories in the first four years. You know, because we had to keep keep expanding and so we couldn't keep up, so I had to outsource rolling. And the I think I've used four different companies over the years and two of those told me it was pointless putting the essential oil in. It was too expensive and you might mm. as well just put synthetic in there and and no one would know the difference. And the answer was, I know the difference. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hmm, they didn't roll for long. Yeah. But no, it's it's one of the things that winds me up quite like in the bait game. There's, there's lots of wool pulled over people's eyes. Yeah. Um, I guess it's the reason I'll never be rich. You know, I'm just too <laughs> honest with people, and you know, I'll, I'll only do what I think is right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, stemming on from that that sentiment, what do you feel is important when constructing a good bait? Digestibility, obviously. Um, it's got to have ingredients in there that are triggering fish that you see the fish's reactions to. I want one of the reasons I use essential oils and everything. I want to retain a taste. I don't want everything if if the baits are out there for three days without fish being in the area, which happens. I still want taste to be there. And there's a lot of baits. You, you know, it's a simple job. Just stick them on windsill in the glass and mm. see how much leakage you're getting from baits. That's the other thing. Looked at baits before you dropped them in a glass, and three days later, the water still tastes like water. You know, there's absolutely nothing happened at all. <laughs> you know, it's just that innate ball on the bottom of the lake. So, there's this whole host of things. I like things break down, I like, you know, attraction to be able to come out of it, and I still want it to be tasting after, after a few days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any kind of go to ingredients that you just can't see yourself 
creating a bait without. Well, nearly everything has, again, we mentioned the essential oils, nearly everything has spices in. Um, I'm not going to go into individual ingredients because they're, yeah. you know, they're all quite close to the heart and I'm still using things that I'm not really aware of other people using. So, yeah, yeah, no, okay. no, they're, they're all, I mean, I suppose anyone who's watched Quest Baits for a lot of years, you know, will probably know as using a lot of spices, but that's what, you know, we do because fish like them. And there's so many brilliant, brilliant combinations with them. But again, you're dealing with with proper foods. You're not dealing with synthetics. Yeah. I've never really been one for <clears throat> in the old days of the tackle shop. We used to have shelves full of flavors, but most of them were just smells. They weren't tastes. They were smells. Again, you drop them in water, taste it. It's nothing like it smells. Or pH change, more mm. importantly. There's flavors and there's flavors. I think a lot of flavors, uh, the biggest thing they're perhaps bringing to the party, please correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Sean, is the pH change, which is yeah. uh, an investigatory uh, response from the carp. Yeah. Some yeah. of the very good flavors are bringing more to that. There's a gustatory re re response there. Um, but yeah, a lot of them, it's just the pH change. Yeah. 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 It's... Again, we're in the day and age now where majority of people buy a bag of bait and they just accept what's in there without really thinking much about it. You know, it's a bait, carp eat it, and that will do. Mm. But there's, you know, there's a lot of different things there. If you put, you know, you just touched on the pHs. If you, you're introducing a bait of a similar pH to the water, there's not a lot of signal coming off there. You know, yeah. yet you could alter that just by coating of liquid by seeping things in as i do you know you, you can make every bait better so sorry um do you do you sort of um look at amino acids much when you sort of like are formulating a bait or no 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 i, I got that no. i got that impression um <laughs> <laughs> no, it, but yeah, it's... I think it's quite refreshing, really, because everything you you read um, online and you talk to people, and um, it is amino, amino, amino. Um, but I think sort of listening to you, it's um, like you say you haven't haven't used fish meals, um, which obviously a good source for a sort of amino acids. And for you, it's all about that sort of a, a, a digestible bait that the fish are going to come back for. Um, yeah, I, I basically want to give them something they really want to eat, rather than, I, I think the little story I told earlier of the, the milk protein situation and climbing mm -hmm. out of that bucket, uh, that was at a time when a lot of people messed about with amino acids, and I really, I don't know, I was being led up the wrong paths, trying to listen to what everyone else is doing, trying to learn off other people instead of just doing it myself. Once I made that first step of going against the grain and realizing I made a massive difference in my own angling, I just stopped taking everything as gospel in the end and just started doing my own thing. But you know, I've got some mates who are really, really high up on bait on different routes to what I take, and their knowledge is vast compared to, to my knowledge on some things. Mm. but 
they don't seem to catch any more fish. You know, they, they, there's a place for every type of bait. But a, a lot of the baits, to me, they're only ever perfect for a, such a short window of opportunity. And I don't want that. I want a bait that's, that's going to catch in most conditions. Yeah. No, you I know, think... There's some baits that are absolutely exceptional, but only in, in certain circumstances. I don't yeah. know how to describe that one properly, but well, I'm no, sure I mean, you know where I come from. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's, it's quite refreshing. So, and I completely understand your stances. Yours is it's a bait that they want to eat, and it's a uh, sort of like a bait for, for all occasions. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people, um, in particular after spawning, um, sort of focus quite heavily on sort of amino acids and yeah. I think lysine in particular. Um, or at different times of the year, people look at their mineral sort of package and sort of increase like a salt or they add sort of like a mineral supplement. I know a lot of people use sort of like a, a equine sort of mineral supplements in baits. Yeah. Um, is that something you sort of would look to sort of through the seasons? Um, or is it very yeah, much uh, all, you want? On a, the personal note, this all comes into the soaking of baits that I do. You know, I, I, you know, I'll add different things at different times. Mm. But the... I just, I'd like to go back on the bit about some baits being exceptional, but for relatively short periods. It's one of the reasons I won't use freezer baits. I've not used a freezer bait since 2005. Um, in the past, I had nightmare using other people's shelf life baits. Like I say, things move on, got different ways of doing things now. But to me, a freezer bait, the only thing you guarantee about it is going off. And mm -hmm. um, if like, I'm generally a two night a week angler, I'm, you know, I'm a weekend angler, I'll fish Friday night and a Saturday night. And if I'm getting stuff ready on like the Thursday or whatever, in hot weather, that, that bait is only in its prime for a few short hours. Yes, some of them come back again with some ingredients. Some ingredients seem to kick in again once they're breaking down. Others don't. Others can go against you. But I, I, I just want things more stable. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can com completely appreciate it. Um, yeah, I do. Go on, Sam. You look like you were going to... It always amazes me as well with people when they, they refreeze baits, you know, as if you sort of got another two days once you took it out of the freezer again. You know, it's people, people do it. You know, they take them the same bait three weekends on the trot, you'll throw it out, take it back again. And it's the fishing with baits that uh, certainly aren't in the prime, certainly aren't as effective as they perhaps were for a yeah. six hour period. And regarding sort of stabilizing your bait, sorry, you, you mentioned this earlier. You, you primarily, so someone's looking to create their bait that's stable or a stabilized bait. You primarily use or look for ingredients that are that are stable within themselves, um, rather than sort of going down the route of any sort of not preservative as such. But I don't know if you. Yeah, again, I touched on it before. There's there's quite a lot of ingredients that you can't we can't work with you know because they, they they do go off too quick i mean our shelf life baits they they're not going to be usable in five years time ten years time like some baits i've been in the back rooms of tackle shops i've worked in but uh 
yeah, you, you just you pick your ingredients. And again, it's one of the reasons, thankfully, that I've not gone a long way down the fish meal route because it, you know a lot of them you just you can't control them, you can't keep them the mm. same. But you know, fortunately, because you know I've, I've not got a background in using fish meals anyway, it, it was never really an issue for me. Yeah, that that that's really interesting. So I mean, <clears throat> I've used quite a lot of meat stuff over the years. What what is your take on on meat meals, uh, Sean, or or meat derivatives? Well, again, things have changed. With um, there's a few things that. I've used quite a bit in the past. It, again, you can't get now because of new legislations, transporting mm. meat about and everything else. But there's some still some great things out there. I mean, you, you know, you look at the the pet food industry. Some of the things they're using, some some terrific stuff. Carp have always liked meat. You know, again, look at the chum mixer. It's not fishy. You know, it's a meat scenario. The old okay. luncheon meat. You know, we all know about. You know, they, they just like meat, liver, the older fish love. Um, there's various bloods. You go on mm. forever more. It's, it's like liver is such a simple one. It always makes me smile when people say, oh, I'm on a, on a liver bait. <laughs> and I just like to sort of say to them, what is, uh, is it beef, pork, lamb, chicken? What liver are you on? Just liver. <laughs> and again, you just get a, yeah, where's liver? <laughs> yeah. But we, we touched on things earlier that how, you know, you taste Bud's Ultra and such like. I used to hate liver. Um, now I quite like chicken liver, but I don't mm. like lamb's liver. I don't like beef liver. I don't like pork liver. You know, they're all very, very different tastes. But again, it is this people accepting something. Oh, it's liver. It's all the same. I went yeah. through a lot of different livers before I found one I, I really liked. You mentioned well, various, sorry, you mentioned various bloods. Um, is that something you've sort of, you've, you've tampered with? Because I mean, I've used sort of yeah. um, a blood powder before, but I've, I've never, to be honest with you, I've never considered the origin of it. Um, no, the, the blood's a great, uh, great ingredient for hardening baits. So I use mm -hmm. quite a lot of blood in a bait we used to do called liver ba that, that was a phenomenal bait but it didn't sell so, sadly it was a period when everyone wanted fish rather than meat and uh, had to drop it in the end but that was one of the better baits we've ever done so it's super soluble as well so talking mm. about sort of um breaking down where you want the naturals to i guess to break your bait down it's one of those ingredients that sort of gets out into the water column pretty quickly mm. But going back to the, the the liver one, that that's you know you go on about sort of big fish baits, which I try and say older as I've said before. Liver is one that I've never really rated for young fish. It's it's again the fish's taste changes ours do, and they don't seem to like that one as much. But oh. it, it's certainly the older fish love, love yeah. meaty stuff. Liver is one of those ingredients. I uh, liver yeasts. And um and certain cheese powders, those cheese ingredients is, a, is oh. a great ingredient, and it's another one that's not used a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, do you put that just down purely to the embryoteric acid, which some people do? I don't. I think there's more to it. No. Um, but what's your opinion on that? No, there's a lot going on in cheese. Fats. 
for sale, but I mean, I was using cheese from a long, long, long while ago, before and butyric acid was one of the things that people spoke about or really knew about or anything, you know. Was, mm. You know, I was just using actual cheese as well as synthetic cheeses at the time. And now it's just something they really like. And as you just touched on, combined with yeasts and your meat meals and such like, they just all go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I and, uh... can't think of anybody who I fish with who probably use use cheese at all or you know any any cheese ingredients but it's been in one or two of our baits over the years again yeah. as I said before we tend to or I tend to use things that people aren't using you know not I'm sure a lot of people aim but a lot of people are achieving very similar things all the time and not going outside the box they're just using the well tried and tested i'm a bit more interested in trying to find that little edge over the you know something a bit different and you know it's more difficult for somebody to copy yeah 100 percent. i mean exactly cheese is not well known um i used to i used to use cheese itself and i used to use the do you remember those richworth pastes uh they used to sell in these little white um these little white pots and used to make the cheese paste and the they had other other paste as well actually, but no, no, no. They, they, they were phenomenal mm. yeah 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 for me the, the the cheese one was the best one that was just i just did so well on that um and and you know you learn a little bit more about bait and you realize okay well actually that's probably because of x x z and y and, and that's very interesting um but sometimes you can hypothesize all you want but what works is just what works. Yeah, piece um, of Ovis down the edge will catch most carp. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Did that just come out of a bait dealer's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's the yeah. reality of it. You it's know, true. It's, yeah. It's again, people. You know, yes, it will catch carp, but it probably won't catch him for every more on every water. You know. You know, and there's sometimes you want a big bed and you it's not the ideal bait for doing that with mm. you know yet it's one of the baits that you can do more with than most other baits mm. you know you can have a stodgy lump of dough on your hook you can have a nice slow sinking piece of flake you can have it on the surface you can do everything with it mm. what what's someone to do sean <clears throat> i mean let, let's say our listener I mean, we're, we're really lucky. We've got some very weird listeners. We get sent pictures of people making their own hydrolysates and there's some real bait intensive guys that follow us. Um, yes. But let's just say the average person, they're listening to this, they're thinking, okay, maybe I need to go a little bit beyond just chucking out my, my, boy, my favorite boilie and waiting behind my rods. What is the average guy to do to tip things in their favor in terms of the bait that they put out the main thing which we, we touched upon earlier never turn up at a lake with a bait straight out of the bag just put yourself out a couple of days before you go and just soften them up a little bit just open them pores up a little bit just add and water just, that itself is such a massive massive thing such a simple thing but uh, again it, it's it's making your bait different to 99% of other people's bait. I mean, okay. I've, I've preached this one for years, and I know people don't do it. 
you know, it's too much faffing about. But it's, it's all them percentages again. Okay. And it enables you to add something else to your bait if you want to. Okay. So, I mean, what's that look like? I've, I've just bought 10K, 10 kilos of Quest Baits Magnum White. They're in my freezer. What, what do I do to make the most of them? Either straight water over them. I just use normal bottled water because it's cheap. Um, if you want to boost the flavour a little bit, I dilute glugs down. Um, summertime, if you've cut some hemp, although I guess most people buy it in a jar these days, but the liquid from cooked hemp is just phenomenal. It's, an, it's a brilliant ingredient. Um, adding that instead of the water. Winter time, I use just water or diluted glug to make it thinner, make it seep in a bit quicker. And breaking baits up. Don't rely just on the, the full boilie that's taking forever to start working. Just simply breaking a bait up starts activity in the swim. You know, you've, you've split it open, you're letting the attractors kick in then, you know, without all the soaking. But I, I still prefer to soak baits. I definitely think that the older carp prefer soft baits anyway. Mm. Yeah. Like most of the animal kingdom, the teeth go rotten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So... I mean, I first started doing the, the filling with liquid and everything in, in the mangrove days, and the softer I made them, the bigger the average size of fish went. That's when it first hit home to me that they were probably struggling to eat the half baits. Wow. Yeah. Where I'm sat, I'm sat at my bookshelves and I've got a set of frangial teeth here. I don't know if you've seen a set before. But I have. Look the have. same as amolders. They're just the same enamel teeth. You think what they feeding on all the time, you know, the crushing up snails and mussels and such like. How long do you think your teeth would last doing that? Mm -hmm. Where did you get that set from, Sean? Um, I've got a couple of sets. Uh, dead carp off the bank. I can't remember what venue now. But generally, I, I still do it now. If I, if I find a dead one somewhere, I'll try and shove it in the ditch out of the way if I think there's going to be some decent <laughs> teeth on them. But I'd like a bigger <laughs> set. The ones I've got, the biggest ones, probably a 15 pounder. But generally, they're never there for long. You know, the foxes drag them off or, or whatever. But like I said, in the 40 odd years, I've got two sets. Yeah. Mm. But no, no, there's, like I say, most of the big cats and such like, they all die when the teeth are on, when they can no longer yeah. feed properly. Yeah. And I, there's, it just seems an obvious thing to me, you know, big cops teeth wear down, so why should you give them hard baits? Yeah. It's, it, it 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 it's some sometimes we can look so deep into bait and you know what what the fleeting fleeting amino acids and and you know you know what what kind of ph is it is that bait letting off etc etc sometimes we need to bring it right back to as simple as a palatability not in terms of uh the gustatory um response of the cart but just literally how soft that bait is, how easy well, is that bait meal, to, to eat? You know, you... Yeah. I remember... No, this story won't tell. 
I'll swing it a different way. You, you don't Go take your, your 90 year old grandmother out for a steak, do you? Because she's probably not going to be able to chew it. You know, it's, you know, again, it just brings it back to human terms. You know, you, you make things simple, you know, give them something they can eat. Everybody can eat soup. Not everyone can eat a steak. Mm. It's so simple, isn't it? Just like glaringly obvious, but you just don't see it, I guess, until sort of someone like yourself sort of comes out and puts it in front of you. Yeah, um, deep down, it's, you know, I'm not particularly big fish orientated now. I like to catch big fish like everyone else, but I, you know, I fish venues where real big fish don't exist, you know, because I just enjoy fishing them. But deep down, we all want to catch the big ones, you know. And I just do everything I can to make everything simple for them, you know, so that I can catch them. That's it. So how how long have you been carp fishing, Sean? It's over 40 years, isn't it? Yeah, I caught the first one by accident in 1977. I caught mm -hmm. three in the snow on the same day. So the, the scenario, a lot of people... You know, the ambitions of carp in the snow. The first three I ever caught were, and I've been lucky to have quite a few of them since as well. But I, I started carp fishing after that. I just totally, I didn't want to fish for anything else after I caught those. It just totally caught my imagination. Mm. So have you, have you ever had any sort of, um, sort of, I guess, not strange occurrences, but what's the most sort of surreal thing um, that, that's happened to you on the bank in your 40 years of carp fishing? I've never had no ghost encounters or anything like that. Um, I once had an old lady come and sit down at the side of me in the middle of the night and tell me she was going to commit suicide. Oh that was days. quite a strange one because I was probably 15 at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, and how old was the lady, sorry? I don't... She might have been 40. She was an old lady. Oh. I was 15. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> you so, don't know, do you, at that age? But no, she, she appeared to be an old lady. Tell us that story. Tell us that. Explain that. I was... I was um, it's probably wrong with the parents, but I was doing nice when I was still at school. Um, it starts off, I used to... They'd never let me night fish. I used to be going really early in the morning and coming home later and later at night. And I used to have quite a cycle ride and everything. In the end, it, it was silly because I was only really at home for an hour and a half just so that I could night fish. And in the end, they gave in to me and let me let me night fish. And I was a different era, I suppose. But I was just down the tramp one night fishing for the carp. And so it was just a woman turned up out of the blue, which was scary anyway. And then... It was all this, oh, I've had enough. I'm going to end it all. And being young, I, I just didn't know how to handle it. I just sat there and I, I did nothing whatsoever and she wandered off in the end. I was just scared stiff. But uh, oh, not, really, not really a fishing story, but just such a horrible situation to be in. Um, we've got Johnny Rolfo I used to work with. He was quite a well-known match angler in his day. Um he had three different bodies come by him in a swim. In fact, he, he finished a match with one at the side of me. He had to drag it out of the back eddy and finish the match. That's uh, something I couldn't have done. No. 
No, I'm pretty weak, I think, in those situations. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been put in that situation. <laughs> but that, always... That's the one thing I've, it always used to worry me at night on the river. You know, the, you know, the you can, people throw themselves in and things. I just always used to worry about them connecting to the lines, you know, the rod tip going over. And, you know, fortunately, it never happened. That's it. Um, so if you could go back over the years, um, is, is there anything you think you'd have, you'd have done differently now? Um, yes. Yeah, well, one of the little regrets, well, two, two regrets. I wish I'd have had a decent camera in the early days. Because mm. uh, my very earliest car, there were little 110 Instamatics, and it would touch and go if you actually got a picture or not, you know. So, so, so much photography was lost then. Uh, but the other thing was not traveling further when the hair had came out. Uh, suddenly went from the, the people had been around and catching carp before the hair did really, really well when the hair appeared. And at the time, I was just getting such a big kick out of catching so many fish. I was on it quite early compared to others on the water I was on. And it was, I suppose, it was big-headedness, really. I was so content on catching a lot of fish in front of everybody. I really should have pulled my finger out and travelled some much bigger fish waters and filled the albums up. Because <laughs> for a period, for a, a two, three-year period, cart was just so easy to catch everywhere. Yeah, I can, I can believe it. I mean, I guess I'm a, a bit younger and I've never known anything sort of apart from the hair, I guess, with cart fishing. But I can only imagine the sort of the impact it had. Uh, and like you were saying on your water, um, you were one of the first who were on it. And I think it was, it was really like that, wasn't it? Very sort of secret squirrel. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's like I said earlier, you could never, it wasn't until you'd established yourself that people's, you know, odd ones had noticed that you was catching as many as them and suddenly they'd open up with a few things, you know, because they, they thought they'd get something back. But for the majority of the cases, nobody would tell anybody anything. You know, as we laugh about it now, but you'd walk around and people would be scrambling for the bait boxes to get the lid on, you know, so you couldn't see it. And there's no way you'd stand in anyone's swim when there was casting, and no way anyone would cast while she was in the swim. It's another thing that seems to be gone nowadays. It doesn't seem to be the etiquette of giving someone a little bit of, bit of privacy, you know, if they're playing about with something. Yeah, no, that's it. That's, um... One of, my, one of my bugbears, I guess, is a bit of, yeah, bit of privacy do, on the bank. Yeah, I still do it to this day. If I'm having a chat with someone and they've had an occurrence or whatever, I'll still walk away when they, you know, when they're going to do anything with the rig or, you know, I just think it's, you know, there are a few people still out there moving things on. It's, it's something that I find quite sad. I'm not sure where all the innovation is going to come from in the future because, again, as I've talked about, it's no disrespect to the younger generation, but they, they haven't had to come up with things. They just Google it, watch it on the TV, or ask someone. You know, there's, I'm not seeing a lot of real pioneering stuff appearing these no. days, and that's think, for yeah. quite a long period as well. I think so a lot of it now. Different mindset. A lot of it's so, technology based now, isn't it? I think a lot of it's like, for example, the the deeper echo sounder that you can cast out and it streams it to yeah. your phone i think yeah. that's where a lot of the advancements or and obviously bait boats in the last however many years they've all got gps sort of trackers or whatever on them 
Um, I think that's where a lot of the technology, sort of all the advancements come now. I just find it really sad, to be fair. It's, I'm not totally against them. I don't use them myself or anything. But it's, to me, it's making everyone a lesser angler. You know, mm. it's, it's too much reliance on, on the electrical world. You know, there's too much reliance on carrying lots of batteries around and watching little screens rather than just learning how to do it anyway. Yeah, I, I, I completely uh, see your point on it. And um, but I guess I'm, I'm sort of in, in, I don't use any, anything like that. Um, I can see why people do it as well. It's a gadget, isn't yeah. it? And people yeah. like their toys, don't they? Well, I, I get it totally. I get it totally. I'm, so there's probably a bit of stubbornness in me that, uh, you know, I choose not to and everything. But it's never stopped me catching a few fish. No, that's it. Um, and you said, I think you were going to say, um, you said you had a couple of a couple of regrets. So one of them was your, your camera uh, back in the there day. Was, yeah, there, there was the not traveling further afield oh okay sorry of course yeah <coughs> excuse me uh, other than that i can't really think of many i think i've grown up and started the perfect time i wouldn't have started any other time or earlier or later i think i i was just very fortunate to have started when i did i've got like five years or so behind me then the hair had come about and it's a sort of seen seen the progression. Yeah. Nice no, no. rigs, obviously. Yeah. That's it. Um so I think I don't know, Sam, have you got anything you want to really sort of delve into um with Sean? Or do we do we sort of like want to go into our sort of quick fire sort of questions that we're asking everybody who comes on? No, I mean it yeah, I mean we've covered quite a few topics uh this evening. No, there, there's the time we've been going some time i we? know i know yeah. <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> nearly two hours um since we first phoned you nearly Come three on. hours actually it is yeah <laughs> is that yeah yeah <laughs> oh have i have i mismathed <laughs> you, you yeah. oh it's mismaffed. nearly 11 yes i have yes i have yeah 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 so what like two and a half hours okay anyway yeah long story short yeah i could talk to you a whole lot longer um but obviously i won't do that there's so much we could talk about sean i mean you you've touched on so many points that i really feel the more switched on anglers that are listening to this are gonna really they've got something to run with um and i i've certainly learned a lot from talking to you uh, i'm sure pete has as well and i'm sure listeners have as well so it's an absolute pleasure to uh to to kind of get your opinion on things um we've got a little quick fire round that we'd love to ask you um which is a series of i think it's five questions pete do you want to do that or do you want me to do that yeah no i've got them i've got them up in front of me so we can uh go for it do that. Go on. um so is that okay sean yeah fine are you ready um so best angler you fished with through the 80s Baz Varney touched on him earlier. Mm. He was so forward thinking in his time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So much on the ball and such a inventive mind as well. No, oh, brilliant. Yeah, he's somebody most people had never known. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I can't, I can't say I've um I've heard the name. Um, but yeah, so the next one, uh, hunt them down or estimate where they will be and bait and wait. Bit of both on that one. I love stalking them, but it's just not practical on some of the water so fish. I think that's a fair answer. Um, if you could only fish in one country again, which would it be? UK. Ooh, okay. Um, and one species for the rest of your life, which would it be? Carp, because of the varied ways of catching them. Okay. And um, I think we sort of touched on this maybe a little bit uh, just recently, but um, pet hate in fishing. I really hate sea toy boats going across lakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all agree there. <laughs> I think we all agree. That won't get me many fans anywhere, but I can't help it. I had too many years of not seeing mm. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm not a fan. Um, down where I live as well, it's, um, I fish a lot of uh, quite small, intimate waters. Um, and it is, yeah, it really peeves me off when I see a bait boat doing laps around an island or something. The other one, to be fair, is etiquette as well. There's, there's a lot of anglers don't fish how they'd like the person at the side of them to be fishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, morals seem to be well gone these days compared to how they used to be. Yeah, I, yeah, completely agree. Um, it's just respect, isn't it? I guess respect for yeah. your, yeah. For your, yeah, your general depends. angler. And if you find yourself where you've, you're sort of fishing, I guess, close to somebody, it's just polite, I guess, to ask. I think there's... It's the way the media sent things. I think there's too many people too desperate and forgetting that it's a hobby. I watch a lot of anglers these days, and it looks to me as though they're at work rather than doing what they're going to work all week for to do. You know, they they just, I don't know, different different mindset these days. There's some very, very good angles out there, but I often think to myself, have they actually enjoyed themselves or are they just filling an album? That's it. Yeah, I, yeah. And quite often when you speak to another uh, angler, the album's the first thing that comes out. <laughs> that's another pet eight, actually. <laughs> we when the mobile on. phone comes out straight away. Yeah, yeah that's it. Oh, when they join a new water, uh, again, people don't get this. I, I'm total opposite to, to most carp anglers talk to. I don't really want to know what's in there. And the first time I want to see a fish is in my net. I don't want to see it on someone's phone screen. And people yeah. find that one quite odd. And I also get people, they, they're telling you areas in swim straight away. Of, you know, not being funny, but I want to find it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to go and have a few fish say, oh, I only caught them because I told him where. You know, I'd rather just do my thing. That's it. I mean, I've, I've spoken to anglers and I'm quite happy to ask and get information about the lake and thing, but I totally agree on the... Uh, the, the phone but all of the photos that come out on the phone i think it's I mean, part of the magic like, isn't it not knowing what you're sort of yeah i'm gonna have a little idea what they grow to and everything else you know you, it's obvious because it's, it's all out there everywhere now but i don't particularly want to know exactly how everything looks you know i'd rather get the surprise myself when it's on the map rather than landing one and thinking oh which one's that is that such you know i don't want to know what it is that's just it's my fish you know, the, the name of it is the last one I caught. 
Yeah, no, that's it. Um, I think before we sort of wrap things up, um, I've got a little request for you, Sean. Um, and that was what not, we were talking not about. Not singing your song. <laughs> <laughs> Need a few more whiskeys. Um, it was, we were discussing earlier about the light uh, and how your fish react to light. Um, yeah. If you did stick a video of that on your sort of Facebook page or something, uh, that'd be quite interesting for me. I think it's something sort of a lot of people yeah. would, would enjoy seeing. So if you do take a video and could upload it one day, that'd be great. Yeah, winter's a time to do that when it's when the clarity's in the water anyway. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's you know the sediment drops down when they're not moving about as much. And no, I'll, I'll, I'll do that because it's it's a conversation I have with a lot of people, and yeah, it'd be be nice to prove it and show it properly. But the other thing, when you know you get people say, oh, I've always used lights, da 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 da, and they're not bothered about noise, not bothered about bangs, but a lot of the time when. You know, the fish could be 100 yards away when the disturbance has gone off. You know, within seconds, they've travelled a long way. Mm. I think a lot of the time when people will, will quote you, oh, I caught that straight after, did it? Well, it possibly wasn't there. But again, you're always going to get an exception. You know, they're a wild creature and everything's got different, different instincts. Yeah, that's it. Um, have you got anything else, Sean, that you sort of you want to sort of bring up and discuss? Yeah, I'm desperate to get to the toilet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Same. You've kept me for nearly, well, three hours now. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and at my age. <laughs> but no, no I'm, I'm, I don't have enjoyed having the chat, to be fair. But, uh, I don't really know what we've talked about. It just mixes in, doesn't it, really? I just yeah, rambled the... along. I hope we've made a little bit of sense somewhere along it's the line. The beauty of fishing, isn't it? You can... It's, uh, it's an open book. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, everything that I've said tonight, you know, there's, there's other ways of doing it all. It's just the way I do it and the way that's worked for me for a lot of years. Yeah, I mean, this has been an absolute goldmine of information. I mean, certainly, I can only speak for myself. My only regret is that I, I shouldn't have drunk as much as I have because <laughs> it's all it'll be a blur in the morning but um <laughs> thanks sean take care everyone thank you so much for listening good night everyone much love good night all the best cheers, guys. cheers.